Welcome, everybody, to episode 49 of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. I'm your host, Bo Richards, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Dan Humphrey. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing well, Bo. Enjoying this, uh, this actually rather splendid Northwest summer we got going on. Uh, I know. Aside from that nasty little heat wave, just in general, it's been been quite nice. So, how you been? Yeah, it's I've been good. Um, we spent the heat wave this last weekend in uh, in Chelan, where it was a high of 104. Oh, too hot, too hot. Uh, yeah, there was um, it was manageable only because of the fires. It's fire season, and so the um, smoke came over, and uh, um, it actually kept the sun blocked for most of it, so it was hot and muggy, but when we were outside, it was fairly... There was like this heat was like bearing down on us, um, okay. but uh, it wasn't great by any stretch, but um, that's just a lot of heat, but uh, we spent a lot of it indoors, and then we did... Um, we did a bit of morning slash early afternoon drinking and played like some cornhole and stuff like that outside at like 10 a.m. Mm. before when it was only 85 degrees. Right. Um, I did uh, all of my grilling essentially at like nine in the morning. OK, and so I, I wasn't trying to grill a steak at four when it's 100 degrees. Right. And so um, just warmed them up later kind of thing. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, okay. pretty it pretty much just do that. Just warm them up later, or eat it cold. You know, it's um when it's hot. Sometimes I don't mind a cold steak. Yeah, sure. And so, um, but Pick a salad uh, out of it or something. Yeah, um, I try and stay away from the greens, but uh, but yeah, no, it's um <laughs> that's a I <laughs> slight tangent. I've been reading the book called The Carnivore Code. Okay. And um, which is it's very great, by the way. Uh, I, I do very li- I like it a lot. The author Paul Saladino he's a is a doctor who one of the things he's um, he's not actually like a nutritionist or anything, but he uh, in his off time he studies the um, he likes to study food and nutrition and stuff and uh, and the like. And he's very vocal about um, about uh, how bad he uh, how bad uh, vegetables in particular actually are for people. And how the narrative surrounding like a balanced diet of carbs and vegetables and low fats is, in his mind, actual shit. Um, Interesting. I would be very curious to hear uh, Brett Weinstein's take on that just from an evolutionary biologist standpoint. Um, Me too. Yeah, because I think just from the the super rough uh, evolutionary lens, it seems like vegetables still do more good than harm um yeah but it could be wrong but if they were that bad it seems like they would not be a part of the the human diet as much as they are um so yeah like i'm, I'm about five chapters in about 100 pages in it's like a 400 page book it's pretty and it's pretty technical but it's easy it's surprisingly still I'm able to get through it, even though like he, he uses all the technical terms for the lectins and the polyphenols and the other things that I'm getting wrong and um, probably a bunch of other molecules and stuff you're actually familiar with from your dietary um, endeavors when you were bodybuilding. Right? I mean, you got to learn about all this kind of shit so you kind of know what you're putting in your body and why. Yep. Um, and he goes into it all, but um, the gist of what I'm getting from it at the moment is he's like, look, like vegetables and fruits and things like. People have eaten them for, you know, 12, 20,000 years. 
like we we know this from carbon dating and like looking at bones and all that kind of stuff, all the anthropology and and whatever else. Um, prior to that, humans ate meat for a, a million years, maybe longer, maybe a couple million. You know, like th- th- this is what they did, and um, and then we also diverged evolutionarily from. Uh, from plants about one and a half billion years ago. We all originate from like a, a similar, like the same single-celled organism or some shit. Yeah. But um, the gist of the point is, the, of his point is like, these kinds of things were historically eaten by our proto-ancestors um, in moderation from time to time and only heavily when food was scarce. That's when you see things. That's when you see it mostly eaten another in in ancestral humans is they ate a lot of this kind of stuff when they didn't have a lot of other food. So oftentimes like maybe in like shitty weather areas where it's like very cold um, and a lot of snow or whatever, they would eat vegetables during the winter time because they couldn't find animals. Um, but so it, and you know, we talked a bit about this on the podcast before in, and I, I mean, I, as I'm reading this, I remember this stuff coming up when I was a kid, but um, vegetables have, they actually have plants have toxins in them so that they're not eaten. Right. And like uh, um, animals have specific uh, acids and other things in their saliva and in their stomach to break down plants. I mean, uh, cows have eight stomachs. Yep. As an as one example, and they're specific. Those eight stomachs are literally designed to break down the eight hours of grass that they have to eat every day because they eat for eight hours, they sleep for eight hours, and then they digest for eight hours. Something to that effect. Hmm. Um. I, it may not be orangutans, but I believe it is uh, one of the primates. Um, they literally chew leaves for like 12 hours a day. That's what they do. I think gorillas as well. Gorillas are yeah. herbivores. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that's what they have to, they have to eat. That's how many plants they have to eat because of the lack of nutrients, but they're also eating like tree leaves and stuff, which is right. partly why we don't eat them is because there's not a lot of nutrients, but, um, but part, one of the main reasons we cook vegetables is to cook out the toxins. That and digestibility, yeah. but yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. It's like, so we can better digest the food. Yeah. Um, and then um, a, a lot of different toxins, a lot of different plants that we eat. And I think he's going to get more into this. He's alluded to it, but our bodies actually don't even process. We just simply excrete them hmm. because our, our bodies understand that it's toxic. Now he hasn't gone into this, but my, my hypothesis, and I, I hope he addresses this because I don't know is that, um, I believe it's what soluble fiber because that's some that soluble fiber is the one that you um it care apparently carries water with it but you just it just passes through the body you don't break it down you just excrete it you pee it or poop it out right so my, my assumption then is that technically speaking soluble fiber is a toxin that our body doesn't want to digest so it doesn't it just gets rid of it i that's, think there'd be an important distinction between a toxin and something that's not bioavailable um yeah. or otherwise inert yeah. Uh-huh. And I think he's going to break that down as well. Like I said, okay. I'm very early on into the book and it's, um, it is quite fascinating to, uh, uh, to kind of have him delve into it. Um, I know that there's certain, um, and he talks about this a little bit too, but like certain food, certain vegetables and stuff and plant and, uh, fruits, but mostly vegetables, I believe, um, their seeds, their pits are, are toxic. Like they'll kill you. Um, and, uh, I think, uh, was it avocado? I guess technically a, a fruit, but um, I think it's avocado pits and the pitches pits inside of like peaches and stuff. If you don't cook them properly, you can get cyanide poisoning. 
I've heard similar with uh, um, apple seeds. I mean, it would take yeah. a whole lot of them, but yeah. Right, don't, exactly. Don't and so, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's all very fascinating. And I, um, he talks a bit about how why um, one of the reasons he, he it seems based on studies that um, ancestors of ours uh, fermented foods like cabbage and stuff to make sauerkraut, that kind of thing, mm. um, was because of fermenting them removes the toxins and things that are in the, uh, that are actually in the, um, in, in, in the vegetables. Hmm. And so you're able to eat them without those things. And, and he's referring to toxins as a bunch of different types of chemicals and things that are in vegetables. In fact, one of the things he, the claims he makes is that a lot of things that we look at as antioxidants now, um, he, he, he says that a lot of studies don't actually back up that they're antioxidants that they're actually pro-oxidants and that with the, um, that the reason that, I, that he, that people say that they're antioxidants is because the reactions that our body have to the pro-oxidants creates more antioxidants to fight against that. And so it seems mm, as if okay. there's a correlation between, yeah. And it like, it's, cause he goes into the technical stuff. And so I'm not, it's a little bit hard to follow, but, um, and then he, he also points out a lot of the, the issues with, um, studies that are done and the problems that come with different types of, uh, um, actual studies. Mm -hmm. you, you have, um, epi epidemiological studies, which are, um, you do like a population level study and ask a bunch of questions. Right. And then you try and find correlations. Um, but with those studies, the problem is that correlation doesn't always equal causation. Mm -hmm. And so you can't, make too much from it and then there's another kind of a study and i forget what he calls it it's off the tip of my tongue but um you essentially go through and have control groups in a and you have a placebo group and then you monitor what they eat and then you make inferences from that and so it's a much more um ri uh, rigorous style of test but it's harder to do Yep. with food in particular because you run into the healthy and the um unhealthy user bias right right where you have people who are healthy or unhealthy and then they they either lie about what they're doing or they are more they're or really what it is in, in both cases like the healthy user bias someone who's eating healthy is more likely to do healthy things that could contribute to good outcomes and so right. you can't say that them eating you know kale and broccoli is the reason that they have healthy bodies it could be because they don't smoke and they don't drink and that they they run frequently and they work out seven times a week or whatever they get eight hours of sleep and they sleep well um versus the yeah. unhealthy user bias you have someone who maybe eats a lot of red meat um, but because that's taboo, they have that James Dean effect where they also smoke and they drink all the time and they, they don't get good sleep. And so then they feel like shit. And then all of a sudden red meat's bad for you. Yep. And it's yep. like, well, you know, so it's, it, it's easier to do the epidemiological studies because you can just ask a bunch of questions to a hundred thousand people and then make your connections. But, um, and so there's basically what I'm gathering is that thus far is that it's almost impossible because of that and the cost to do proper studies to determine the appropriate levels of vegetables, fruit, and meat needed for the average person in a diet. But based on all of the literature that this studies this fellow has read and that have been done, um, ancestrally, we have ate, we're much more carnivorous than herbivores. So we're an omnivore evolutionarily with a lean towards meat 
versus plants. And that um, only in the last 70 or so years with the change of from meat to vegetables in the America, um, you know, with the last time the, uh, the health. Uh, like 70 the years? Food, the, since the 50s. Since the 50s, huh? That's that's when there was that there was when there was a really big change in the food pyramid and what's healthy and all the all the shit okay. that we were taught okay, in gotcha. school right. that happened in the fifties. Okay, um, and you can actually look this up. I've seen a couple of the articles. I've seen a couple of random articles and stuff. But prior to the fifties, like the things that were uh, the things you ate to be healthy were eggs and meat. That's what you ate. And then all of a sudden, eggs became bad for you. I remember my grandmother telling me about that. She was like, eggs were bad when I was a kid. Ridiculous. She's like when she when she grew up, and, yeah, and then when my when my mom was born in the, in the late '60s, she's like only, only until like my mom was my mom was you know uh, in her like teens were eggs good again, you know. And then um, but yeah, prior to that, like uh, meat meat and stuff was eaten, and it was something that you should give liver to your kids. Um, and then there were changes made, and then if you uh, you know you look at the um, obesity rates, diabetes rates, the rates of cancer, um, different kinds, certain kinds of cancers, um, all that kind of stuff. That's been steadily going up since the fifties as well. And part of one of his claims is that there's a there's actually a literal direct correlation. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. Um, I can attest to the fact that personally, having cut out a large amount of vegetables, um, or pretty much exclusively veg, I, I eat them, but very little. Um, I have felt better than I ever did on the keto diet. And I felt way better on the keto diet than I did prior. And so I, I don't know. Um, it's At interesting. the end of the day, that's what matters. <laughs> so if you, if you right, feel exactly. better, if it's working for you, then there you go. Yeah. And so I, I'm not entirely sure what to make of it. Um, I think until proper studies are done and, whoever's doing the studies and overbacks the studies actually wants answers, then we'll probably, we, we probably won't know for a long time. Um, There's a chance but, we may not know ever just be, for, for all the reasons that you pointed out, the difficulty of doing large scale studies means it takes a lot of money. Who's going to pay for it. If somebody's going to pay for it, they're going to want a return on that money. So what are we trying to yeah. sell here when you're, uh, when you're selling grains and sugar, then it's pretty easy to make a food pyramid in the fifties. But if you're looking for uh, actual truth, that's not going to you know sell any products. It may never happen. Well, right, exactly. I mean, I think one of the jokes he made is he's like, farmers aren't running around trying to get everyone to buy more cows. Like they're not going to make that much more money if they do that. Yeah. Right. But you think about the amount of money to be made for pushing carbohydrates and sugars. It's like we we no longer push carbohydrates and sugars. Nestle goes out of business. Mars bars. Mars, the company goes out of business. Right. And those two control, like he doesn't mention them, but, um, those are the two that pop into my, actually Mars might even own Nestle now. I don't even know, but like they own like all the confectionery shit. So all of a sudden candy is just gone. Even though you can go buy like healthy Nesquik chocolate milk, or <laughs> you can go buy sunny D, which is good for you. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, like I said, it, it's very fascinating. I um, I would not be personally surprised if what he's saying has much more grains, of, much more grains of truth than people realize. Quite honestly, um, I mean, you think about how humans have evolved and how plants have evolved and and, and things like that. Like, it it doesn't shock me that we would have trouble digesting plant foods when we're not 
plants. Like uh, it, it makes sense that our bodies would run better on animal stuff because they're more similar to us. Like uh, I'm not sure that the digestive tract quite works that way, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, and so and see, I don't know enough about it to know if like that's whether or not that's a valid argument to make. It just it would seem to me that you know if I'm evolving over time and to, to eat other animals. That, that that's how my body would evolve over time. And then very, very recently, evolutionarily, did we learn how we learn agriculture. Right. And how to properly, um, uh, you know, cr uh, grow, um, grow plants and, and vegetables and fruits and things, and then how to engineer them so that they produce more and mm -hmm. um, with higher sugar contents and carb contents and bigger fruits and vegetables too, you know, like bananas and apples and, um, peaches and corn all used to be a lot smaller than they are now. Super small, unrecognizably and, small in some cases. Yeah, yeah. and um, and so it's like it, it it would not surprise me if like like if you think of it like a computer, like if we're a Mac or a PC, whatever, and then vegetables are the opposite. It's like I I could see that being something that seems reasonable. Where it's like we kind of divul divulged a long time ago, and the, the way that we actually run or process how our bodies pro uh, um run is maybe a little bit different and then trying to take in those foods that are just slightly different for our body chemistry um might cause problems i don't know um but uh it's fascinating to learn more about it that's for sure like I, yeah it's it's an area that i don't know much about and i'm very interested in it because i don't like eating foods and then feeling like shit <laughs> what was the you author's know, like, name again uh paul saladino Salad oh he's been on rogan once or twice hadn't he, he i believe familiar. so yeah yeah um, okay okay he has been, I think he, I, I'm pretty sure he's been on Rogan. He, uh, he went on the, uh, the doctors TV show, or maybe it was, uh, not the doctors. Maybe it was, um, what's the, the show where all the ladies are in a, in a table and they yell at each other. The view. Um, that, I, think, I think that was the one, okay. um, it was one or the other, but I forget, but they got really angry at him for proposing that we shouldn't eat vegetables. It was actually, I watched the interview <laughs> and it was like, it's really funny. Like they're like irrationally angry at him. <laughs> like, and he's like, just kind of casually like explaining this stuff. And they're yelling at him. Like he came out and said that like whites were better than blacks or something. Like, like right. I, I, I'm like, I'm not even like, it's, they're like so angry. You're like, did he just like come out and like insult your mom? Like, did he just come out with like an ethno nationalist statement? Like, is he like, like saying down with the Jews? Like, and you just disagree, like, and you're angry. It's like, I don't, he just said he would rather eat meat. <laughs> but like that's but it. Like what it about is, veggie tails? <laughs> you know, and I like and they're like they're like one of the I forget who, but one of the one of the, the the ladies was like, well, she was like yelling at him over this, and I'm like, why are you yelling? Like he he literally didn't have one. He didn't say anything like xenophobic or sexist or anything. He was just like, I don't think vegetables are really all that good for people. You should you should try and eat more pancreas from a cow. Like you know, that's veggies, man. Call, you can't be veggies. Yeah, like, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, and so, um, whatever the case, I, like I said, I, I do find it very fascinating and, um, I've actually noticed when I do have some vegetables and some, some fruits, my body will react different ways to it. Okay. And so, um, it's, uh, my body has a problem with garlic and onions. Okay. That's what I've noticed. And so, um, I'm, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm very sensitive to the smell. I used to eat onions like apples when I was a kid. Okay. Like I would like grab an onion out of the fridge and like take a bite out of it. Like yeah. I used to love to do that shit. And um, 
we had an onion and a and a some garlic in our fridge. And it the garlic garlic will last forever in a fridge. It'll last like a few months before it goes bad. It's mm-hmm. it lasts forever. But um I think some of it was started to go bad and then the onion had been cut and um was it actually ended up going bad too. We just hadn't my girlfriend hadn't made salad in a while. And the um it was starting to go bad, but the smell was so intense I almost got sick. Wow. Which never happens to me. Yeah, it's just, it was just like this this smell that I couldn't get out of my nostrils, and then, um, and then I uh, I had some salad with a little bit of red onion in it, and it um, made me a little queasy. Um, I will have to remember not to have anything with garlic when I'm around you because I'm the exact yeah. opposite. Um, I like garlic. I don't love garlic, but I like it. It's fine, but it takes an offensive amount for me to be able to taste it. Yeah. Um, so if I'm if I'm eating at like a Greek restaurant or something, man, I will dive in and I'm gonna reek for the next couple of days. Yep. That's just I, I accept that going in because it's so delicious. Uh, but it takes for me it takes a whole lot of garlic to even mm-hmm. register the flavor. Uh, oh, I used to yeah. I, I I used to love garlic. It's uh, garlic was I go by the cloves and then um, I used to like to di- dice it up and make I make you make my own uh, pasta sauce mm. and put um I uh, will saute the garlic and then put it in um I, I instead of mincing it I'll cut it up but uh what I started to notice though as I've changed my diet is that um not only will the garlic taste stay with me longer than I ever remember it staying like I'll, I'll like taste it in my mouth and down my throat even okay. um and on my on my fingertips it'll excrete through my pores like I can smell it mm-hmm. um but it like I can feel it in my gut um, I have like a, I don't, the best way I know how to describe it is that feeling in the mouth after I've eaten garlic, I feel that in my stomach. Wow. I can like feel the extension in the stomach for like three days afterwards. Um, it, it like, it just fucks with me. Um, and, uh, it's like a very mild sensation, but it fucks with me. And, um, yeah, those are the two big ones that I've noticed. Um, and which is it's very interesting. And, uh, it is interesting because I've heard garlic many times to uh, or recommended to be used as a digestive aid. Uh, yeah, I forget for why you. that is, but uh, <laughs> I, I've heard that too. And so, um, uh, and it for whatever reason, it just it does doesn't work. Um, broccoli makes me hungover. Really? Yep. Broccoli um, makes you hungover. Or let me, I'll rephrase that. So. Um, the last few times that I've had broccoli, usually what I uh, do with it is I'll have like a, a bowl of steamed broccoli um, and then I'll uh, put in some kind of oil um, and then some maybe some red wine, uh, uh, apple cider vinegar and uh, some like tuna or something. Mix it up like a like a like a light salad okay. like that. Um, sometimes I'll put it in with like uh, some sweet potato or some ma- I, I might have done mashed potatoes. Not not the last time I'm thinking of, but I'll do that, too. I, was, I like to mix it with stuff. But um, I had some broccoli with some butter and things, and uh, um, and woke up with that groggy, stuffy headache. Wow! Didn't drink the day. Uh, didn't drink. Um, probably could have had more water. So I know I'm not positive it's just the broccoli. Like it could have been a water intake issue as well. Right. But um, it uh, like it just it just it just fucked with me in the mornings. And um, no good. It, wow. Okay. I'm gonna need to do some more testing because it, it's always hard to tell with this stuff too. Because you like you have to 
really isolate what you're eating, track exactly. it for a few days and yeah. kind of know, cause it could have been other things. Like I don't want to just say this is what broccoli did, but near as I can tell, like that was the issue is that I had a good amount of broccoli and it, even with steaming it, um, that it, it just, and that's what I mean by the hangovers. Like I got that stuffy sinusy headache. Yeah. Groggy when you wake up, um, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock rolls. Cause I get up at like five. So a few hours later, um, I start to clear up and everything's fine, but that's that kind of hangover feeling, you know, where you just drank a little bit too much and you wake up and no real stomachy issues. It just, I got the head issue. Right. And, um, if I have too many, too much, too many sweet potatoes, that'll do the same thing. But I need more. Like I, I need like a like a big sweet potato, like a full one, you know. So one that's, uh, you know, the size of like a bicep, right? Right. Um, like a pretty big sweet potato. I want. I like sweet potatoes. They taste good, and that's about the main vegetable that I eat. Um, if I have any, but um, I uh, I had a whole one. I just boiled it like you would a potato with some butter and ate it. And the next morning, like my body was. I said hungover. That's the feeling. Is it reminds me of being hungover, um, hmm. and uh, yeah. And so I, I have to be careful with that and how much how much of it I eat. Um, and so, uh, and like I said, there's there's a lot of reasons why that could be. It could be the the carbs themselves specifically because it's heavy carb. You know, it's a it's a, it's a sweet potato, um, or in the case of broccoli, there's a decent number of carbs in broccoli. Um, a lot of it's fiber, but it's still. Um, it could be some of the other things that are inside of it. I don't know. It's, I'm not exactly sure what the issue is, but I, I've noticed that. Um, <clears throat> I haven't noticed it with fruits as much. Um, but uh, I don't eat very many fruits. And so um, mangoes, dates, avocado, um, I haven't had a mango in a while. If I have too much mango, it doesn't feel very good. I get a stomach kick. Oh, um, bummer. Mango is one of my favorite. Yeah, I got I know, three, but, four uh, mangoes on the counter right now. Yeah. Um, like I love mangoes, <clears throat> but like, like basically if I, if I take the big pit out and eat the whole thing, um, it's a little bit too much, but it, it's a good amount of sugar. Like even though it's natural sugar, it's still, again, it's a lot of carbs. And so if I'm having other carbs throughout the day, like I think it's just an overload. My body has like a carb overload and then I get that carb hangover. And so, um, yeah. And so part of the reason I'm reading this book and I want to read some other books about this stuff is that I want to try and get to the bottom of what specifically is causing these issues, right? Is it, cause it's probably a combination of a few things. I assume it's not just like a carbo overload. It's, there's going to be other things that are inside of fruits and vegetables and, um, what wonder, are the mixtures? I wonder if know. that creates a, a different sensitivity once you remove the the bulk of I the think so. carbs yeah. from your diet, then uh, yeah, you become sensitive to other stuff. That's yeah, so I'm actually, it is, yeah. And I'm actually positive about the sensitivity issue because like 70% of the world, um, I spent most of my life being lactose intolerant or uh, uh, low lactose, but lactose intolerant because 70% of the world's lactose intolerant. Um, Shit, I didn't know it was that high. Apparently, wow. Yeah, apparently it's 70%. Um, so it's like, why the fuck is we have so many milk products and shit, but whatever the case or dairy products, but, um, you know, like everyone else, I've always liked ice cream and I cut it out completely when I went keto until I discovered keto ice cream and I couldn't eat keto ice cream. And I think it's because of all the, the chemicals it's put in it yeah. to replace the dairy, um, and to keep it low carb. 
all the <laughs> all the sugar alcohols my body just is like fuck you um and there's like lectins and stuff in those things and that's partly what got me turned on to this doctor in, in the book is that there's a lot of lectins and vegetables what is um, a lectin I have no idea. Okay. Nope. Can't even, couldn't even tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I just know it's something that's talked about as a, as a thing that's not necessarily great for you in, in, in large quantities. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that uh, is like a defense mechanism um, that plants and plants, v- vegetables, fruits, whatever, just regular flowers uh, use as a way to not get eaten. Cause it's not in their best interest gotcha. to get eaten. Right. If, right. It, you know, if um, animals are eaten, bell peppers and peas and shit they don't poop it out and then it grows again like they just they don't reproduce and so it um it isn't like uh strawberries and other like certain kinds right. of fruits where you yeah. want the seeds to be eaten and so yep. there's a lot of defense mechanisms in, in vegetables in particular because they don't that that, that isn't how they uh, propagate um lectins as i gather is part of that um anyways so i cut out ice cream i've had my girlfriend and I have been to Baskin Robbins up the street half a dozen times in the past three weeks because it's been nice. We've had that hot summer. Yeah. I've gone up there um, when she was out of town a couple of weeks back. Instead of getting two scoops of ice cream, I got three. Go, man, it was, go. <laughs> it's fucking cool. But I haven't had any gastrointestinal issues whatsoever. Huh. I've had none. And it's weird because usually I'll have that much ice cream and they give decent scoops. You know, I get two scoops because one's never enough. I don't know why the fuck they have one scoop. <laughs> one scoops are for pussies. Can I say that on on, on recording? <laughs> like you, you got to get two scoops. Like don't be, I don't want to be super sexist. I probably shouldn't say that. Um, get two scoops at least like quit being a wimp. But um, I haven't had any gastrointestinal issues. I haven't had like uh, upset stomach. You, know, you get like the gurgly of a ga- the bloated feeling. Um, I haven't had any um, any bowel issues, whether it's diarrhea or constipation. Nothing. It's been I've had no problems, and um, I never could drink milk because it would give me gastrointestinal problems. Yeah. For for the longest time, and I used to have to force myself to drink it when I was trying to bulk up like six or seven years ago. Because I, I would need more calories and stuff. And so I'd go buy a whole milk and then I would drink like half a gallon a day or a quarter or what you know, I'd have like I'd have it with my protein shakes all the time and to get enough calories. Yeah. And and that was literally a pain in the ass because that's what, what apparently you're supposed to do when you want to bulk up is you need to drink whole milk. And I hated it. And um because you know there's no fucking calories in water. And so like, <laughs> like if I want to get that extra 300 calories or whatever in the mornings with my protein shake, I need to add like 12 ounces of milk, you know, and skim milk is water. That's lying about me. You know, it's milk. Yeah. yeah right. Or Chop whatever. Water, Ron yeah. yeah. He's like, what to say? He's like skim milk is water. That's lying about being milk. That's what he says. And so, <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah. And so like, I have no problem. And I, I don't want to continue to do that. Cause I, at some point my body's going to get overloaded with all the sugar that I'm putting in my body. Um, from going to Baskin Robbins and it's going to hate me, but um, like, I, I haven't had a problem handling it. And so like, there's definitely something to be said for like cutting certain things out of your diet. And then your, your body will react less badly to old things you used to eat that your body, that fucked with your body. And I, that's, that has to be what it is or old age. Like in my <laughs> old age, I'm no longer lactose intolerant. Like I hit 34, 33. How old am I? 33 and um now i'm no longer lactose i don't which seems unlikely to me that 
Still possible, though. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, the opposite happens. You know, people hit 30. My mom hit 50 and she got got an egg allergy. Ooh, bummer. Out of nowhere. Like, and it's not a deadly one, but she'll, you know, she doesn't properly cook a cake all the way or she like eats the batter, the leftover batter of a cake. Her um, eyes will turn bloodshot and her eyes will get puffy. Oh. Like very clear egg allergy symptoms. Her lips will go numb. Oh, wow. You know, and so if she has a cake somewhere, like I know if it's undercooked because my mom's lips will go numb. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that's a rough test. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's like it's mild. You know, she'll have like a banner drill or just wait in an hour and it'll go away. But like that was at 50, just boom, egg allergy. Hmm. So like this stuff does happen. But my the near as I can tell, it's just a dietary change. I just I cut out other foods and I think whatever the mixture, whatever it is between the foods I was eating and um you know, leafy greens, pretty much exclusively. So to have low carb, uh, low carb intake, um, wasn't mixing well. And once I removed them, it cleared up my, you know, my gut biome enough that I can handle more dairy. That's cool, man. You know, I, I really hope that in, in the not too distant future, we get to the point where, um, we can personalize not only medicine, but also diet. Yes, please. Or you can actually Fuck. take a reading of your stomach, right? So your actual biome, and from that deduce what is going to be, you know, most efficiently processed by your system and, and all the rest of it. Um, yes. I think we're, we're, you know, probably within 20 years of that. Uh, and I think, I, that, am... I think that's going to open a lot of eyes because, you know, up until this point, the vast majority of all dietary advice has been trying to, or has tried to be monolithic. Like this is what everybody needs to eat. Clearly that's not the case. That's not even close to the whole picture. And there's a, a, yeah. a broad variability between people and, and what their system can handle. No, v- very, very true. And like, for me personally, like I don't have a dog in either fight. Like if someone, if eating a large amount of vegetables and lean meats say non-red meat is what someone needs in order to truly be like at their most optimal fuck yeah you eat all the chicken and all the potatoes that you want to eat i love chicken and potatoes yeah like i i I used to boil chicken and then pull it off pull it apart and put it inside of a mashed potato with butter and eggs and it's delicious it was like my favorite meal with a little bit of salt and then i gained 30 pounds of muscle doing that you know like i i get it for some other people, if you need to eat all red meat every day, two pounds a day, every day, that sounds also crazy because it's a very restrictive diet, but that's what you need to eat. Like there are, there are literally thousands upon thousands, if not tens of thousands of people who have, and it's all anecdotal until someone can do a study on this. It'll only ever be anecdotal, but who've done exactly that. And it's cured every fucking ailment they have. Every autoimmune every autoimmune issue they have and like there's something to be said for that yeah if you know you have anxiety depression bipolar disorder um arthritis which is an an autoimmune issue Mm -hmm. um you know you whatever else that you know there's there's hundreds of thousands of autoimmune issues and you just change your diet and it fixes those problems it's like fuck yeah then you do what that you have to do to do that yeah for sure period like that's what you do um Given how I feel, I definitely fall into this more meat-heavy camp um, at the moment, having tried 
lots of greens. Um, having tried no fruit, having tried fruit, I like fruit. Um, I've always loved fruit. I like sweet things. It's good. Um, but uh, I, I eat a good amount of fruit every day. Um, and I haven't had any problems. I probably should peel back on the fruit, but uh, we'll see. Um, but yeah, it's like I, I think that people get so... I think that um, I, someone was talking about this recently, and I, I, uh, I forget what it was in reference to, but they basically talked about how whatever it was has gotten to a point to where it becomes a person's identity, yep. and then they can't divorce their their identity from the issue at hand. And so, when the issue at hand blows up or goes away or gets challenged, then they get they personally get challenged. And like I said, I forget what it was actually in reference to. It wasn't. Um, any of the political shit we're talking about, like uh, it wasn't like critical race theory based or woke leftism based or, you know, um, hardcore conservatism, uh, conservative Christian based or anything. Cause those are like li literal identities yeah. um, that uh, people are like willing to die over, like actually like protest and bomb and die over and shit. Um, it was something less innocuous, but my guess would be veganism. Guess, That's um, so it wasn't, people, I know it wasn't vegans. Yeah. Right. I know it wasn't food related, but that was actually going to okay. go to what you're talking about. Gotcha. Is it is it we're getting to a point with nutrition where like like what you're saying, like with veganism in particular, is it's like people are like, oh, my God, like, you know, you're you're killing the planet or whatever. You know, like you're a you're, you're a piece of human garbage. Like you have to go vegan if if you eat animals like you're basically killing me, like all, the, all this kind of crazy shit. And like, I don't even know. I don't know that much about it. But I don't even know where to begin when it comes to refuting the logic, most of the logic that's brought forth by vegans. I actually don't know where to begin because there's so many holes in their in their logic. Well, first you gotta find the logic, if there is any whatsoever, right. and then you can refute it. But typically, there's not a whole lot. No, like I mean, it's what's the argument? Like you know, you're 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 killing so much stuff, and it's like, do you have any idea how many animals? and bees and butterflies and spiders and other like insects that are, that are, that have to be systematically eradicated in order to run an avocado farm. It's like in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions. Yep. Like there's like literal, literal millions of like insects and bees and shit have to be in water voles and moles and other things that like are just naturally a part of the habitat that you have to remove because they'll destroy plants. Like you have to eradicate entire ecosystems in order to do that. Now, there's a problem with most um, animal farming, and I get, I get the argument against like raising and slaughtering chickens and pigs and cows because they literally inject them with pesticides and unhealthy sugars and shit. Most, most of those animals, when they do get slaughtered, they have like abscesses and stuff on their, on their liver and in their, on their muscle because they're like treated like shit. They're held in pens 24 hours a day. They don't get to get out and graze and exercise. Like it's super humane and disgusting. Not to mention all of the, uh, the CO2 shit that they put into the air that does actually ruin the environment. But if you want to run a sustainable farm, let cows graze all day. Yeah. Right. It's they, yeah, for me. I, I definitely, I, uh, draw the line at the factory farming myself as well. Um, I, I can't stand it. It's it's a fucking it, terrible thing. And I, I very much appreciate the the route that Rogan went because I've been listening to him for a long time. So before he became a hunter, it was, you know, because of this dilemma of factory farming really sucks, um, his take on it was, well, I'm either going to become a vegetarian or I'm going to hunt for my own food, one or the other, because I don't want to support the factory farming. He ended up going hunting. Um, 
but it, yeah, it's it, he's been able to highlight and and uh, bring that conversation a little bit more out into the open of just how fucked up that is. Now, the we got what seven point seven seven point eight billion people on a planet that do need to eat. Yep. So we have we have an issue. Yeah, compromises are going to have to be made. It's just it's the reality of it. You know, if you if you want to be on team people, which I hope you do. Um, then we have to take everything into account. That said, I think there's definite improvements that could be made and still be financially viable for a company to be able to produce meat products in a far more ethical manner. But as it stands right now, it is literally illegal for you to report what they call the ag-gag laws or the agricultural gag laws. Laws! You can do jail time for uh, revealing what happens in these places. Like, yeah. To and me, that's just, it's just super yeah. fucked. <laughs> How bad is it? You got to make a law that won't let anybody look at it. That doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. So no, very, very true. And, uh, one of the things I've been trying to do is, um, well, first off I I've gone ahead and I don't do it all the time. But it's, it's a lot more money. Um, and there's not a, a huge selection in the area, but I I've been toying with grass fed and grass finished beef. Yeah. Um, it's healthier for the animals and for anyone listening grass-fed and grass-finished is just what it sounds like um it basically cows and other animals are allowed to eat outside in on grass only they're never given grain or any other anything else and then grass finish just means as they're prepping them to be slaughtered um so like the few months before they do that they feed them grass and then you can have grass fed and then grain finished and um they'll be able to uh, add grain at the end the last few months to fatten them up a little bit and then add some more marbling, which is the white stuff inside of the meat, um, to give them better marbling, which gives them better flavor. I disagree with the flavor part personally. Um, I actually prefer grass-fed, grass-finished beef to basically everything else. I really find I find it very good. Um, and that includes like your standard prime um, cuts of meat. They're okay, but I, I actually just prefer the taste of, of, of grass-fed beef. But mm. um, but uh, I, I've been looking into restorative, uh, regenerative farms, ordering meat from regenerative farms, which basically what it is, is it, it's a self-sustaining farm from a uh, ecological standpoint. So they actually have to get approved by the federal government to, to be considered a regenerative farm. But broadly speaking, cows burp and fart a lot. And that that's like the big outcry when it comes to like... Um, evolu uh, evolu um, environmentalists is that if you have... If, like cows burp and fart so much that if you have a farm full of them in pens that they're going to ruin the ozone that's the, that's like the the general argument I'm, so they I'm say yeah that's the argument but... yeah I, i'm simplifying <clears throat> this of course and that doesn't take into account the machinery that's used to that also causes um that that kind of stuff but cows they're ruminant animals and they have to process plants and so they the stuff that they do burp and fart a lot. Like that's actually what they do to release all the, the chemicals that their body can't process as they burp and fart it and they shit it out. Um, but part of the problem is that if you have all these animals inside of like a, um, what, what, what are those th I forget the, what the pens are called where they keep them in and they keep them in stalls and then they just feed them. Um, there's, that all gets put up into the air and then it's bad for the environment. But if you let cows eat grass, grass literally absorbs methane and CO2 in order to grow, as does all plants and trees. I, I believe that's that. called. Okay. Yeah, that's that's part of the process. Like that's how trees function is they actually absorb all of the CO2 so that we don't die. 
among other things, but like that's part of it is they absorb it and then they release uh, oxygen, I think is what it is. I think it's called photosynthesis. I'm not positive on this. Hopefully someone who listens to this is a is like an agriculturalist who knows what all these chemical terms mean because I don't, but that, <laughs> well, is, that is part of the process. So in general, I, like I can say total... photosynthesis is uh, is taking the, in carbon dioxide. One. Yeah, it's a sunlight, yeah. using that as an energy source to convert carbon dioxide right? Uh, and then to release the oxygen. So that must be the sun coupled with cow farts is what allows <laughs> grass to uh, take everything and turn it into what we breathe. There we go. That Perfect. is... Ha- that is how agriculture works. That's how plants work. That's how we. That's how humans function, is cow farts and the sun. So, if you ha- if you let cows hang out in the grass and fart, and then you let the sun come out, and then you let the grass take in the cow farts and the sun at the same time, then all of a sudden you have a net carbon, you have a net neutral carbon emission, because they're taking it in for you. So like that's broadly how that happens. And so you just basically have a normal farm, like the kind of farm that our ancestors would have had a hundred years ago. You just have that farm on a large scale with thousands of cows and pigs and elk and bison and shit. And there's probably some other things I'm sure you have to do in order for the government to approve it. But then that basically allows for everything to get regenerated. So there's no loss of no loss of grass, no loss of trees, no loss of nutrients in the soil and the water. Um, you're not losing animals and insects and things to the tilling of the ground, which once it gets over tilled and over over farmed, then you lose nutrients and then the water goes bad and the fish die. Like there's all these problems. You ask Montana as a state, you ask them, they'll tell you over farming and over logging. And pretty soon Montana is going to be a desert because they can't grow anything anymore. Um, And so it's actually like a big problem apparently there. And so um, I've been ordering food from regenerative farms uh, there's none in Washington as far as I can find, but there might be, they just don't advertise online, but as a way to sort of help with that. Cause I, I don't mind being environmentally conscious. Um, but because I, I, you know, I don't want to destroy the planet. Um, and so I, I will spend a little bit of extra money if I can afford it to eat meat that comes from farms that are actively trying to, um, keep our planet sustainable. Like I'm fine with that. Um, if it's too expensive, then I don't care. I'm going to eat my meat and I can give a fuck less, but, um, <laughs> And so, uh, well, it's just better was, meat was in a, general too. Like, it, 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 it just tastes better. Like it cooks better. Like I love it. Um, there was, apparently there was a, Joe Biden had made a mention of possibly like, um, putting, not allowing people to eat over a certain amount of quantity of meat per day or something. Oh yeah. That, that went over like a fart in church. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and apparently a small study was done. I think it was just like a, someone like reached a group, like reached out to a bunch of people, a bunch, a bunch of men and asked them. And like 70% of the participants were willing to die rather than have a restriction on their meat intake. <laughs> Talk about identity. And so the, yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the headline was like 70% of men are willing to die rather than have a restriction on their steak intake. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I, I will go to prison for this. Like I, if, if, if the government's like, you can't eat more than a quarter of a pound of red meat in a day, I would tell the government to go fuck itself. <laughs> and I would just secretly eat a pound and a half of meat every day and be like, fuck you. I'm just going to do it anyways. If I have to raise my own cows, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Rogan's had this guy like, on uh, his podcast a couple different times. I think his name is Joel Salinger. Uh, and his fame is called, or farm is called Polyface Farms. Uh, and this guy sounds like he's got it fucking dialed. Um, he, he 
kind of explain the process and loosely speaking, um, he's got a decent sized farm and he's got various fences that are set up on wheels so that I think maybe, you know, four times a year or maybe just once a year, whatever, at the appropriate time, he rotates the fields and the pens and everything that the chickens versus the cows uh, and whatever else he has going on on his farm rotates them all around mm-hmm. so that the chickens would go in and uh, like eat all the insects and stuff out of the ground, which is going to make it more arid so that they can yep. you know, flow it through and grow some crops on there next year. Meanwhile, the cows are off grazing and kind of clearing a spot. And, you know, basically yep. just the whole thing rotates uh, in perpetuity. Um, unfortunately, I don't think it's, you know, scalable to the size of the United, Sla- United States, let alone the world. But it's a fucking fantastic example of what you can do with. And I'm assuming yep. he's got to have that. uh regenerative regenerative i'm sure yeah yeah no that's fascinating like you hit the nail on the head though here's the problem and like i think this might actually be one of the big reasons why our the health or you know the department of health has pushed um carb-based diet so heavily is um to go to circle kind of back to that because i think it does this would be my hypothesis Mm -hmm. is um it's what you're what you're describing you're right is not scalable worldwide we actually have a food surplus in the world. Technically yep. speaking, in the in the first world, we produce like twenty five percent more food than would actually be needed to um, conservatively sustain all seven point whatever billion people on the planet. Mm-hmm. Like that's absurd to me. Um, or maybe it's a twenty five percent food surplus for everyone in America. I forget. Either way, there's a in, in the U S. alone. There's like a massive food surplus. Yep. We have way more fucking food than we know what to do with. And um, now we don't really ship all that excess food off to third world countries to feed, let's say to Africa, to feed Africa or to Cuba, um, where everyone's starving to death right now because of communism, socialism, because of equity. Um, (laughs) We're all uh, equally hungry. Yeah, we're all equally hungry. Right, exactly. Um, But uh, so and I I think because of how agriculture is able, it's... um, you can, and there are limits to this, but the limits are higher than with, with, with say, like meat production. You, you can scale that food. You, you can scale agricultural production. Um, again, like I said, there are limits, but compared to meat, there's a higher limit to it. Yeah. And so as we learn how to engineer um, vegetables better, corn, wheat, that kind of thing better, and we can have higher yields per crop, per you know, square, uh, square mile of crop, we can feed more people. And so it's like, that's awesome. Now, again, with the upper limit and with greed, you have um, the great famine of of Maoist China where um, Mao had a dream that uh, farmers could uh, uh, increase the productivity of their, their yields uh, three, three to five times. And so he, he decreed that farms would then shrink and shrink their size, and then they would increase their yield three to five fold. And then, hunt, you know, millions of people died because he's an idiot. This, I'm actually not making this. Yeah. actually what happened yeah. is the Great Famine. It's fucking absurd. He literally had a dream and was like, I believe that we can actually shrink the size of your farms and then increase the yield be- because I had a dream and you're going to do it. But it goes to everybody. So you can't actually work as effectively as you would like. And you're not going to really get paid because of uh, equality, equity. Um and then that's insane, especially because uh, uh, um, 
you know, uh, uh, advances in uh, in agricultural um, yield hadn't picked, they had grown very right. well in, in in the 50s. And so they didn't work and then everyone died. Science has come a long way, so you can do stuff like that now, but um, you can't really, no matter how big your farm is, you can only have so many cows on it. Right? Yeah. And if, it would be Unless really you, tough to have a vertical farm with cows. Like they're doing yeah, that right, now exactly. with plants, yeah. but that would be much tougher to do with cows. Yeah, yeah. And you could maybe say maybe the vertical farm is you have a bunch of hills that go higher and higher, but cows can't like they're you're, you're not going to have a, a, a you're not going to raise cows properly 7000 feet up into the air. Yeah, like on a mountain, like it doesn't work. You know, they're not. That's how they they don't operate there. Just put them in a and high so rise and teach them how to use the elevator. It'll be fine. Right. And so we're left with this problem of. You know, the U.S. provides there, you know, there's like a 10 percent or something of U.S. soil accounts for like 80 percent of its agricultural production or something crazy like that. Yeah. Um, and the numbers may be off there, but I do know that like there's a um, the east side of the state of Washington accounts for like 80 percent of all the beer hops in the country. Oh, that's right. It's mostly known for apples, yeah. but yeah, hops. It's huge for hops. Apples, as well. onions and apples, onions and hops. Yeah. And so, like, we actually, Washington State actually produces a large percentage of all the apples and the uh, the Walla Walla onions in particular, but onions um, as well. And uh, um, and it's like, so, but that's agricultural production. There isn't a way for Washington to produce all of the meat. Like, there's not enough space. Because yeah. you just, you need more and more and more space. And so, um, as we have more people who go hungry world, worldwide, you... You can't just go to Africa and then just make half the land agricultural and then hope, hope for the best. Like you need infrastructure. You, part of the reason in particular with Africa, as an example, and um, is it, it, in South America and North America actually do run into this problem. Oddly enough, um, they're on a north to south axis versus an east to west. And so the ability to grow crops across the entire continent is difficult because of the axes. And so the weather is so different from north to south. Yeah. And so you don't get the ability to um, grow the same crop everywhere. Like most of the crops that the U.S. grows right now were imported from um, Europe and the Middle East. And we've only been able to do it recently, find ways to grow them. Yeah. And so um, and that's just because of modern technology. And um and so as that advances, maybe you could go to South America or Af Africa as, as two examples and start plugging in wheat and corn and hopefully it grows. But it may not because of the climates and then you can feed everybody. But it's like that's unlikely and cows aren't everywhere. So, you know, and you need the infrastructure and you, you, I mean, there's like so many different problems. Um, that you can't well, just say everyone's got to grow, f have a farm and then feed everyone who can't work and then. Like, I, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a ridiculous problem to solve. Well, I, I think it's important that we also acknowledge that um, some significant um, advances have been made in agriculture. And I'm looking this up right now. I believe it's called golden rice. I would like to find the guy. Let's see. Do, 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 do. So golden rice is a strain of rice that apparently is... Uh, Easy to grow, very resilient, and looking for the guy's name. I don't want to spend too much time on it, though. Anyhow, the guy that invented it 
basically was credited with uh, feeding about a billion people. That's billion with a B. That's right. Yeah. Um, and that was from uh, that type of a, a, an agriculture advancement from doing good science. Uh, it's a GMO as we've been modifying genetic organisms for as long as we've been eating them. Um, but there are good, good things that have happened. Now, again, that's, that's not on the, on the meat side of things. That's a grain. Yeah. Um, but there are, there are places where, uh, technological innovations can help feed an enormous amount of people. Um, yeah. what may be the wild card on the meat slash protein front is, uh, bio meats, lab meats, if you will. Um, apparently, you know, good progress is being made there. Um, tastes just like regular meat, which is obviously super important. Um, and as the cost comes down, it would have the potential to replace actual, um, I don't even call it live because I believe the, the cultured meats are technically alive. Those are live cells that they're growing. Um, but regular animal farming, and, you know, potentially, who knows, but if they get it efficient enough, then that is the type of thing that you could put into a high rise with multiple floors uh, and, yeah. you know, in a compact space to be able to produce that level of protein. So possible. Don't know if it's going to happen or don't know if it'll happen within our lifetime. But there, there is room for innovation in that kind of thing. No, very true. And yeah. I, uh, I saw this, I saw like a, like a meme thing once and it, um, and it put up a list of ingredients of two different things. And it asks it asks you to ter- determine which one is dog food and which one is um, the new plants-based meat. <laughs> like the impossible meat or something? Yeah, yeah. The beyond meat or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And um, like no one knows the answer because no, no one basically knows the different types of chemicals that are in both because there's a lot of shit in both. Yeah. Um, but what struck me, it not only the funniness of it, because, like, how do you tell? Um, but there was, like, a large number of similar ingredients. Yeah, that's going to happen for sure. And I was like, oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and Trick then, question like, the, there, both dog food. <laughs> and then, like, the, the next little slide was, like, what's in hamburger? And, and then just beef. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I know it's a... It's a very fascinating issue. I um, like most issues when it reaches the level of politics, it gets uh, it gets reduced to a multivariate problem, and then it also gets polarized to the point that if you disagree, you know you're you're obviously um, you know the spawn of Satan and probably a racist somehow or something too, um, <laughs> or a homophobe or, or whatever is you know. It, you know whatever um kind of epithet you want to throw and then there's a a verbal fight to the death via twitter tribalism is a strong instinct man which is yeah which is all very unfortunate um you know i I don't fully understand that um yeah my whole goal is just to like i said just to be healthy i I just I, i don't think enough people pay attention to how bad their bodies feel on a daily basis i really don't I, you know, I, I don't, I, I just, I don't, and, and fair enough, like I've talked about that on the podcast before, but looking back, I didn't realize how depressed I was 
during, but mostly after college for like a good few years until I met my girlfriend. And even then I actually was still fairly depressed in the beginning. And then I came out of it as a, you know, um, cause I liked her. And so I started dating her of course. And, um, and as our relationship fulfilled me more and more, I became happier. And then I went through the, a transformation, like I've talked about, not really helped, but in, in the, in the, the preceding years after college in particular, like I lived alone and, um, and even when I didn't, but I, I was still very depressed. Like I had no fucking idea until like 10 years later. Mm. Like I probably was like clinically depressed and should have been diagnosed and you just never know. And I think it's the same way with our bodies. Like it just how we feel about things in general, whether it's depression, anxiety, whether it's aches and pains or your body just feels off or if you're always stuffed up and have a cold and you just don't like, I mean, all those kinds of things, like the number of people I know who have felt sick like six months out of the year and they're just like constantly stuffed up and like they just live with it and think it's a way to live like like just random stuff like that or you you know you wake up with like a, a neck pain every day and it's just something you live with i just slept bad oh, i just been sleeping bad for the last 10 years <laughs> you know just like crazy stuff like that and um and i think that like as I've been paying attention more and more to my body, it's shocking to me how much diet plays a role in that. Mm. Like, like I actually, the more and more I learn about it, the more and more I'm convinced that diet is like much more important part of how our bodies feel at all times than I think people are really truly aware of or right. at least told yeah. like, um, you know, and as someone who, you know, you've done bodybuilding. So like diet's hugely important to getting to that level, like without diet, like a lot of what you're looking to do in bodybuilding just doesn't happen. Yep. Like, um, I, you know, I, you hear all those stories about like, uh, or all those uh, promote promotions and stuff and infomercials about six week abs. You want to get that <laughs> beach bot abs, you know, you, you got to eat like this or like that. And it's like, or you hear people talk, do a bunch of crunches and shit and you'll, you'll have that, you'll have that six pack. And it's like, no, how about you have a caloric deficit for a couple months? <laughs> and well, then if, if you want to have a six pack that anybody can see. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right exactly. <laughs> it's like, you know, you, you, you want to work out too, but like if you <laughs> have a caloric deficit, eat healthy foods, Yeah. work those muscles a bit. There you go. You know, and <laughs> even then it's not, it may not happen. Like you got, you got to do some work, you know? And, um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's very interesting to me. Like, I, I think that, um, if more people were to really take a look at diet, I'm going to make a bold claim. Okay. I would not be shocked if people were maybe 50% paid 50% more attention to their diet. If that would cause pharmaceutical companies to go out of business entirely. Mm, that is a bold statement. Yes. Um, just based on how I've personally felt and the anecdotal evidence that I've heard uh, from people just like, removing stuff from their diets and then seeing things clear up and um, not needing medications anymore for a whole host of issues. It wouldn't surprise me at all if you 50% more you pay attention to your to what you're putting into your body and how you're treating your body. And then you just see like the number of medications people need just tanks because problems just go away because yeah. I mean, we over medicate too. And that's partly why I feel comfortable making this claim Yeah, is that it, it's not to say that like medications aren't needed. Like sometimes people have legitimate chemical imbalances and issues in their bodies and they actually need medical help. 
they need medications to help. Um, and that, that that's the way of things. But we are an over-medicated society, and it would not surprise me in the slightest if like pharmaceutical companies just like went out of business because people started eating better. I'd be surprised if they went out of business, but I, they would for sure lose a ton of business. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the uh, the stock shareholders would not be happy with that situation. No. Uh, I mean, the, you know, the problem is is that it's it's the easy button for doctors. You know, oh, you got a problem? Uh, here's a pill. Write your prescription. Uh, the guy, the guy that I was just chatting with last night, because he took me out to dinner, said some really nice things about this medication. So I'm just going to have you try that. Bang, yeah. easy. Um, versus the actual work that it typically takes to uh, to identify and address the underlying problem for you know whatever person's issue is, uh, and then yeah. stack on top of that. I've, I've said it before, but you know we are one of two countries on the planet that are allowed to advertise pharmaceutical drugs on television. Mm-hmm. So there's Who's the other one. Uh, somewhere small, I don't even remember. Like a, a small, that, inconsequential yeah. country, country, which is probably mean to say, but on the global scale of things, it's true. Um, yeah, that's crazy, though. It's it's absolutely insane. If you ask anybody that lives in you know the UK or Australia or anywhere else, they say the same thing. Like, you can advertise on television for medication. That's insane. Like, yes, I agree. So, yeah, it's. I just don't get it, and like, on top of this. The other thing I find interesting is the amount of evidence right now that tying um, poor health to bad COVID reactions yes. is alarming. It's alarmingly high. Yes. And no, I don't see anywhere, hardly anywhere, like in the, narr- in the in the public narrative where doctors are like, you need to exercise and eat healthier. Dude, I have only ever, ever heard. Let me think about this for a second. Yes, only ever heard that statement that you're saying on podcasts. Like you're correct. I have never heard it from a doctor. You know, Rogan, of course, been preaching about that since since the whole thing started. Um, but yeah, like I have never, I haven't heard a single MD when talking about COVID bring up exercise or even yep. you know, like sun and exposure or you know getting outside and being active. None of that. No, none of it. And all the data shows it. And they actually bring it up, like people will bring up the data and show it, and then they just don't talk about what you're supposed to do. It it, it baffles me. It's like, I I don't, like it, it's absurdly clear to me that the sim- the uh, the bad symptoms and the mortality rate is exceptionally lower in individuals who are metabolically healthy. Yep. And you know, interesting, like when this whole thing started, we needed answers quick. It's understandable. Yep. But if you would have got that message when everything started, you know, about a year and a half, got yourself on an exercise program, started eating right, et cetera, you would absolutely have the benefits of that today. Yes. Uh, so if you got well, it, COVID yeah. today, there, it could absolutely be the difference between life and death. Yeah. And I, it, it, the data starting to come out too from last year, um, you know, because it, it's always a year behind on um, on all the ancillary uh, deaths from uh, suicide, 
um, uh, criminal violence as a result, gun violence um, as a result of, say, drinking or just general gun violence, domestic abuse, um, prescription overdoses, drug use overdoses, all that kind of shit. Um, Mental health is up 25%, like across the board, every age. It's higher in younger kids, like 30 or 40%, like just crazy shit. And the deaths are rising as a result. And I haven't seen this personally because I haven't looked into it just because it's fatiguing. But um, I have heard that um, this may be not correct and, and too bold of a claim. But if I remember correctly, I've heard that the actual number of deaths from that can be directly attributed to lockdowns in the U.S. is actually higher than the number of COVID deaths in the U.S. Um that's a tricky so, uh, one. I, I like to see the methodology. Of, I, I, do, yeah, I, I haven't seen yeah. the data. I, I just heard these kinds of yeah. things because we're still waiting to hear that, see the data on it. So that's part of it. And it's hard to parse through the data because you don't know how it's, how they're determining how that's being determined. Right. right? And um, then a uh, suicide during lo- lockdown COVID may not be because of COVID. Right. So exactly. Um, and I, it seems like there have been a lot of false reports both directions, over-reporting yeah, and yeah, under-reporting. Yeah. So what data can you trust? You know, the, the whole thing that's all, that's is That's a whole up. separate yeah. whole separate issue. You know, you have COVID, you have, you have deaths being put down as COVID-related when they weren't at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, presumably so that um, things would get pushed forward in terms of getting help yeah. from the government in order to, uh, from hospitals. And then you have, what is it, Cuomo, um, the, the New York governor or whatever, um, actively lying about the total number of deaths in New York. Uh, 50%. 50%. That's 50%. a lot. So that he wouldn't lose his job or something yeah. so that he could still be the, I mean, there's other reasons, but I, the general gist was that he was kind of like the, the star that was telling Trump to go fuck himself. Yep. And Dude, I watched him religiously out. for a couple of months. He was the only yeah. voice of sanity at the time. Yeah. And, and then, so did everyone. And then it turns out he was lying. And then on top of that, um, and this is also separate, but there was that yesterday or the day before was there was released that that apparently pretty damaging sexual assault report against yep. him from multiple staffers and so now there's that and so uh, there yeah it, i just what i don't understand is why even at the beginning it was pretty clear that fresh air the transmissibility was like basically zero unless you were a conservative um so that was <laughs> kind of confusing um but outdoors provided you aren't protesting and a conservative the transmissibility was zero um vitamin d increased levels of vitamin d did seem to help with the uh, 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 the severity of uh, reducing the severity of covid and um as did low low or basically zero comorbidities so why the whole thing at the beginning wasn't go outside and exercise Because that would have not generated the fear that we needed to get the people to comply. Fucking, fucking fuck. Yeah. Right. And, and that's the problem is it's like you have all these little grains and kernels of truth. People should be, I think people should be concerned about the virus, in particular the Delta variant. I'm fine with that. I get it. Some people don't believe it's as big of an issue and that's their opinion and that's fine. I don't hate everyone who thinks that. I, I disagree with them. And Okay. Um, Whatever the case, there's been a large number of deaths worldwide in, in America, so we know it's dangerous. What are the things that work? Stay healthy. You can be healthy at any size. That's bullshit. No. They're, I'm sorry, but no. Yeah. That's, that's actually not true. Um, 
you cannot be metabolically healthy at any size. You can be, quote, you could have a high BMI and still be metabolically healthy. That's fine. I'm on board with that. But at some level, you're going to be prone to more things because yep. of your size. Absolutely. And that's, that's empirically true. That's factually true based on all evidence that's ever been done, unless you can somehow point to concrete, sexist, and, um, you know, engendered or whatever uh, studies that have been done. And good luck. Yeah. So this is, you or, know, or, I get real curious. Or is, like racist or whatever, yeah. too. Because like, people are trying to do that. They're pointing to studies and say, what's well, racist? And it's like, well... No, we're looking at hundreds of thousands of people and they show that if you're overweight for 50 years, you're going to have heart problems when you're in your 60s. It's like- Regardless of your that? race, yeah. See, I'd be yeah, curious like I, to, to talk to some of the prominent doctors more, uh, say, off the record, right, to get their honest feelings. But I, I wonder that if they would acknowledge that they need to have a higher level of activity, but they just don't feel people would do it. You know, it's like, well, why don't you just tell people to exercise? Because I know they won't do it, so I'm not going to bother wasting the breath. I wonder how many doctors take that view of it. Or are they just, you know, that's not their wheelhouse. I write prescriptions, yeah. so. Well, I don't think that doctor, I don't think that that really sh is in any doctor's wheelhouse. Like, I actually don't understand. I, and I actually mean this. I don't understand why we go to doctors for health advice. Doctors are there to fix problems, not give me health advice. That's what a nutritionist is for or like a personal trainer is for. Like that's literally what personal trainers and nutritionists and dietitians study for, is to give good diet and health advice, like physical advice. Right. Doctors are there to diagnose problems and then fix the problems. They're not there to tell you how to be healthy. They're, they're, they're there to help you because you're not healthy in some way. Um, however you want to define healthy, we'll, we'll define it loosely so as not, um, I don't think anyone that listens to us would be offended by my liberal use of the term healthy, but to, to be politically correct, like. Um, it isn't clear to me why society actually trusts doctors for that. And that isn't a knock on doctors. It's just that that's not what doctors' jobs are. Right. That's literally not their job. Their, their jobs, and especially if they're surgeons, their job is actually not that. Their job is to cut you open and fix issues. Right. General practitioner doctors, their jobs aren't to, to say, okay, well, you're unhealthy because of this. You should try this. It's they're there to say, okay, well, you have problems. Here are some things to fix it. You can, you can go do healthy things, you know, run or weight, lift weights or try and eat healthy or whatever the fuck that means, follow the pyramid, the food pyramid. <laughs> but like, why else would we have dietitians and personal trainers if doctors could handle all that shit? Yeah. There, there would be no need, like you, you shouldn't have had a job 20 years ago or however long ago when you were a personal trainer, if doctors could do their jobs well, you would not need a job. You would not be able to have a job because they would just tell all the things that you would do. And then you're you, right. And so they obviously don't do a good job of it to begin with, and they shouldn't because that's not what they're learning. They're not learning. They're learning how the body works, like biologically a lot of the time, and then how to, how to detect problems. Like they diagnose problems based on the symptoms that you have. Um, that's I think, you know, at least maybe years ago or something that it was a little more on the, the general advice. Sure. It was more in the, the wheelhouse, but at least a, a general practitioner um for a long time that's all you had like yeah. especially let's say like you know 100 150 years ago like the town doctor was basically a shaman you know from like, <laughs> like yeah. and I, I mean that like seriously yeah. like you look at like tribal shamans like that's tribal shamans technically communed with 
with the spirits and things as well. If, if they it were into mysticism and stuff, but they handled all the plant remedies. They were into all the herbs. They they read they read the stars. They, they you know they they did all of the stuff with, with with the weather and the gods and but really what they were doing is they're trying to get everyone to be healthy and fix broken bones and things like they had to do everything because not everyone could do that. Okay. Nowadays we we can have specialists who do every little thing, and um, and so I, I actually get confused by that like why we turned to, to doctors themselves for that, like doctors, like general practitioner doctors, like that isn't really what they're there for. They're there for to say, okay, well, you know, your, your cough and your headache and, you know, the, the, the abrasions on your throat tell me you have strep. So take some penicillin, right? Um, your joint pain, let's do an MRI and it could be a bad problem or maybe you could just stop eating inflammatory foods and it'll go away, you know? But otherwise it's like, I don't go to the doctor and say, I wish my biceps were bigger. <laughs> uh, well, like, it depends on the doctor, maybe. I don't know. If you're getting some TRT something, oh, and you could... Uh, right. Oh, well, there we go. Right. Up. Like, I have, I have weak muscles, yeah. doctor. You know, like, well, you give you some steroids or you could go talk to Dan and Dan could get you buff. <laughs> you know, it's like... I, um, and so I, I... But yeah, it's, it, it's a very interesting issue. Maybe... My guess would be that... I, I would guess a couple of things. I would think that kind of what you said, doc, a lot of doctors are like, I, I just want to write prescriptions and try and fix problems and move on. I think a larger, a, a good percentage of doctors are too afraid to say anything. Well, either too afraid outcry. or it's just, they know there will be, there won't be enough compliance. You know, yeah. maybe they've been a doctor for 20 years and the first few years they tried doing that and it never worked. So it's like, OK, I'm just not going to fuck. People want prescriptions, so I'm going to write prescriptions. Yes. And I've got well, there's actually 13 a lot of minutes. Support that, yeah. I got 13 minutes yeah. to see this person and the next patient comes in. So let's keep this moving. Uh, you can actually fill this at our pharmacy downstairs. Have a nice day. Yep. So Well, and I mean, doctors actually have when they do work. You know, they make good money and they've had a lot of schooling and stuff and, you know, they make hundreds of thousands a year as, a, as their practice grows in particular. But, I mean, they're in at 6 a.m. and they're there till 8 a.m., 8 p.m. Like, they're, it's not like they're, sometimes they'll have half days and shit, but, like, they see, they'll see 70 people in a day. Yeah. It's just back to back to back to back to back, 13 minutes at a time. Just come in, review your file. Oh, you have this problem, go. Like, I've had... um a wheeze when I breathe for like nine or 10 months. Okay. I don't know what, maybe a year and a half. I don't know. It, it's been a, around a year. I don't know what it's from. Diet hasn't fixed the problem yet. So I'm not sure. But if I, if I breathe out, it'll, it'll catch. If I laugh, you can hear the wheeze sometimes. It really depends. I've had, it has, it's had no effect whatsoever on my cardio, on my ability to breathe heavily it has not affected my ability to exert myself in jujitsu whatsoever. I did a phone appointment with my doctor at the beginning of COVID. It was required in order for my, my, from, it was required from my neurologist in order to get my medications renewed for my epilepsy. I had to talk to my general practitioner doctor. Um, and then I think my, the doctor's office required it as well for something for COVID, but I, I had, I didn't talk to her in a while. So I talked to her. She asked how I'm doing. I said, I'm fine. I told her I have a wheeze. I actually was experiencing the wheeze. So I talked and then breathed all the way out and inhaled and exhaled. She heard the wheeze. She's like, Oh, it's fine. Don't worry. She's don't worry about it. Okay. And like, 
Like I could have a collapsed lung for all of I fucking know. <laughs> like that's that's like a classic sign of like a collapsed lung. Is like the OEs. I'm guessing there's more to Accor- it, the diagnosis I'm than sure, that. Like, but... Yeah, like according to Google though, you just Google it. I could have a collapsed lung. I also at the time could have had COVID for all I knew. So I don't even because right. everything was COVID. So this was in like May, and my doctor's like, "Yeah, it's fine." And I'm like, "Really? Like, I, I have a random hitch in my breathing. It, I have no problems doing anything, but for all I know, I could have actually had a complication a year or two ago, and my body just ran over it and still functions fine." Hmm. And you're like, ah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. It's <laughs> like, okay. All right. All right, doc. Like, okay. <laughs> like fucking shit. You know, like I, it's so crazy to me, but I, like I said, I, I think though that a lot of doctors, um, I, I agree with the non-compliance. People don't want to do what they're don't like to be told what to do. Yeah. And, but there's such an outcry of you. I think doctors have to tow such a straight line right now when it comes to telling people, how they should when it comes to their health telling people what they should think about doing in order to help improve their health whatever that's supposed to mean and i think there's a legitimate fear from doctors because you know remember 60 some odd percent of americans are literally considered obese yep so the the overwhelmingly large majority of people that doctors see are actually obese from a bmi metric standpoint I think that includes think overweight as well, overweight and obese. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's. It, I think that yeah, I think that the BMI. I forget how they categorize yeah. it, but I thought it was the BMI was over 30. Okay, it could be 25, which is still I think, from what I understand, fairly high. But um, BMI also isn't the best indicator. You know, like you look at say like Barry Sanders, the football player. He was five nine two twenty five. His BMI is like 34. <laughs> yeah, I, there was there was a point in time where. I was uh, sub ten percent body fat, and I was just barely obese. So yeah, yeah, I didn't put a whole lot of faith in the BMI. <laughs> like on some level, like yeah, there there is an issue with it. Yeah. But the average person who has a BMI that high isn't under twenty percent body fat. Yeah. Like that's the pro- that's part of the issue. And then the 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 historical, from what I understand, the, the, there's historical accuracy with BMI in that over time, as you get older, the odds that you experience whatever the the issues that come with obesity um, is extremely high, regardless of your fitness at a young age. People of a high BMI tend to have problems later in life. Yeah. And again, you can argue against the BMI model all you want, fair enough. That's fine. Um, but if you follow, if you want to just use that as a, as a metric, it's like, okay, so 60% of people that the doctors see, it's probably higher because all the people are less likely to go to the doctor. And so if you True. look, if you, if you assume that the majority of people who consider themselves healthy also have a lower BMI, I would, I would presume then that a large percentage of people who go to the doctor, probably a larger percentage than 60 probably have higher BMIs. Yeah. And so they're being told you should lose weight and then doctors are getting in trouble for that. And they're getting, you know, it's stigmatized. You shouldn't do that because fat phobia and all those things. Doctors probably just are like, I don't want to fucking say anything. I don't want to risk getting in trouble by telling someone that they're 30 pounds overweight. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. The whole fat shaming, fat acceptance, whatever movement going on right now. Right. And on some, on some level, I get it. It's like, okay, we got a lot of big people. Do I have a personal problem with big people? Fuck no. 
I don't care. It's like there are a lot of women in my family are big. I love them. Like I, that isn't always like the best example, you know, like, but it's like, I, I've never had a problem with, 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 with large people. I don't care. Um, what I personally care about is when I hear people say that you can be extremely large and he massively overweight and healthy. It's like, I don't think that that's true. Nothing, nothing that I've ever read is, is, is shown that to be the case. Like tell that to my aunt who's 400 pounds, tell that to her niece. Yeah. You know, like she, she can't, she, she can't walk very well. And I don't think she makes this claim. I haven't talked to her in a while, but it's like, I, you know, tell that to her knees and her ankles and her heart and her other organs. Like I, 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 I'm sorry, but I, 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 I fail to see how all of those little individual parts of her body are like, yeah, I'm fine with this. It's like, no, it's the, no, like that's not how that works. You know, there's a reason that most NFL linemen after their NFL career careers lose like a hundred pounds and slim up. Yep. It's because they're, they have to, they need to be 350 pounds to be an effective lineman. That's just the way it is nowadays. And it's unfucking healthy. They're like some of the strongest, fittest men in the planet. And as soon as they retire, they drop a hundred pounds. And now all of a sudden they're six, eight, six, seven, and 240 pounds. You know, and uh, yeah. it's, it's incredible because they're, you know, they're like svelte and in great shape in their forties because it's not like you can't pack that kind of weight around for forever. Like it doesn't work. Your, your joints are not designed to carry that kind of weight. Your heart's not designed to, to, to pump efficiently with that kind of body mass. It's hard to do yeah. for 80 years. It's just not easy. And I, you know, I, I don't, that isn't to shame the individuals who are that size at all. It, it's just, it's just simply to point out that those two things don't coexist very well over time. That's it. So what do you do? You know, I, I I'm not going to point at someone who's fat and say, ha 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 fatty. Like you should be ashamed that's rude. <laughs> there are legit. There could be legitimate biological, chemical reasons why someone is big. Like I understand that people have thyroid issues among and other issues too, that uh, adrenal issues that cause weight gain. Yeah. And like I totally, I get it. But that doesn't negate the fact that those things cause problems. And to ignore that as a culture, I don't understand why we ignore that. I don't know. Like you can have both of those things as um, narratives in society, and they don't compete and cancel each other out. It's like. You, you can do that. You, you you can say that large people, larger individuals are beautiful and that's fine because I think that there are plenty of thick individuals that are attractive. I think it's super easy just to ask, what's your activity level? You know, you yeah. look at a guy like Daniel Cormier, champ, champ. Uh, he yeah. is not all bodied up. He's got, he's, he's beyond dad bod. Uh, no, he's and, the father of dad bods yeah. actually. Like, and a world he's champion. He's a thick son of a gun. So it's, yeah. you know, you don't have to have the, uh, the GI Joe six pack to, to no. be healthy, but you do need to have a certain level of activity. That's just what yep. your body requires. Different people, maybe a little bit different levels of activity. You can have a, a natural, uh, a higher cardio base or whatever, but everybody needs to be doing something on a regular basis. Like that's yep. just undisputable. So, yeah. And it, it's, it's a very interesting problem. And, um, I, I don't see why the impression I get is that you either have acceptance of people of every size or you're a, you're fat phobic. And it's like, I know I can have no problem with people who are large and still hold in my head the notion that it, you're most likely going to be 
healthier in the long run if you're small if you if you trim down. Like those are two things that can be held side to side, just based on distort on evidence. Like there should be nothing wrong with holding those two competing ideas. Um, now the challenge is you got to uh, you got to shoehorn your life's philosophy into 280 characters, otherwise nobody knows you <laughs> right. exist. Um, yeah, and it's like I that, that's not right to me. It's like yeah. I you know just we should be able to to push a, a a narrative on what basic human health is, while also not shame people who don't fit that mold. Like I'm also I don't think we should also shame people who don't fit whatever the public idea of beauty is either. Like right. Because it is definitely very warped. I, 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 I agree with that statement. Although there, there is a you limit know, to that, it, the extreme being um, being called transphobic if you are not attracted to a trans person that is presenting as whatever sex that you uh, identify with or, or whatever. Attracted or to. attracted to, yeah. 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 So just because they say they are a girl and I'm a guy and I like girls, but I don't find that girl attractive. I'm a transphobe. Like, nope, I've just got a strict no cock policy, but that's my life. Live yours however you want. But you can't make me take cock. It's not okay. Not going to do it. That's a sexual. That's a sexual preference. Yeah. um, Not attracted to default. which by default is discriminatory. Yes, by definition, yes. Yes, absolutely. Sorry, by definition, not default. Yeah, by definition, it's it's discriminatory. Yeah, that that literally is how that works. And so, yeah. So all yeah, this is to say, uh, you can't force society to uh, deem everyone attractive, but you should not shame anyone that is, you know, doing the work, doing their best, and they got whatever genetic role of the dice that they got, uh, yeah. and they're doing what they can. I support the shit out of that. That's fantastic. But. No, very true. I, I, um, there was a, some, someone who was popular. Uh, she was a large woman. Um, I, she might have been a singer. It might have been the, the singer Lizzo. I don't know who this is, but I think that was her name. Mm. Um, it might have been someone else. I can't remember. It doesn't matter who it was, but it was a, a, a thick. Yeah, she's a big or, girl. You could even say I got a big girl, a big girl. Um, she had made like an Instagram or like a, or a, a tweet or something post about how she essentially she was like, I'm going to like lose weight. Because I want to do that, and like people, f- like her followers, like freaked the fuck out. Yeah, like they they called her names. They were rude to her. They couldn't believe she would do this to the fat community. And I think she lost like fifty thousand followers in a day as a result. Like people like shamed her for wanting to get healthy, and then she like apologized afterwards. And then like, I think she might have like did like turned off her Twitter or something for a while because of the hate she got. And it's like we're at a point where if people who are popular and in part she was popular because she didn't give a fuck. I think, I think that's why I think it was Lizzo's from what I understand. She doesn't really care that she's big and she just like flaunts her, her, her thickness yeah. and people are like, yeah. And it's like, okay, go you. Like, I don't necessarily think you're healthy, but I don't, I, I think it's great that you, she runs around and is like, I don't care that I'm, I'm, I'm a big girl and I don't conform to thin stereotypes and I'm going to wear two pieces and run around half naked and people can fuck off. It's like, I'm I support the fuck off. Yeah attitude i love it the people are like fuck you for trying to lose weight it's like let her do what she wants 
<laughs> fuck you for trying you to get healthy. It. What are you thinking? Yeah, like yeah. I'm fucking whatever. Like do your thing. You know, like I it's 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 always it that's it, it, that's the toxic part that I see is it's like you're you're like okay, this is a this this girl represents me because she's big and I'm big and she doesn't care. So then I feel like I cannot care and conform to society stereotypes and the world is right and I fit into it and I'm not I'm no longer marginalized and 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 and, and whatever. And then when she goes against the narrative, all of a sudden, uh, you know, she doesn't understand my position in, in, in life is horrible and I, I'm being, you know, segregated into this category of other that in the world hates me and oppression. And it's like, or maybe she just realized that she wanted to lose 30 pounds by going on a juice cleanse, which in good luck, that's going to suck. I heard juice cleanses are horrible and um, good for you. Like, do yeah. your thing, well, whatever. Similar thing happened to Adele. Adele lost a bunch of weight. I was going to say, Adele's the other one. Like, she lost a bunch of weight. People freaked out. It's like, she's like no longer, like, now she, it's like, what, you no longer represent fat people now because you were a fat person who lost weight or a big person who lost whatever. It's like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, maybe you should just like her for who she is and good for her for trying to get whatever she felt was healthy. Yeah. You know, like, I don't understand why the animosity needs to be there. It makes no sense to me. It's like, maybe she was uncomfortable and decided she wanted to slim up a bit. Um, she also got divorced and one of the most common things people happen when people get divorced is they lose weight. They go to the gym. Yep. That's like the most common thing. Apparently <laughs> when you get divorced is uh, from both parties, uh, is that they go to the gym and they get in dating shape again. They lose a bunch of weight. They get, f- they feel better after we're at the, after going to the gym and get all those endorphins and get stronger. They trim a little bit of pounds. They can fit into their clothes. They could fit into pre-marriage. You know, they, they get that glow, they look sexy, they feel sexy, and then people find them, they go back out there and they get in the dating world. Like, it's like, what happens? And whether, I don't even think that that's like socially constructed. I think people just do it because they're feeling down. And when you, you go work out, you feel better because of the endorphins that are produced. You want to get back on the dating market? Yeah, that's And totally it's just a byproduct of that. Yep. And yeah. so I, I'm sure part of it, she was like unhappy in her marriage and then started, got divorced, started going to the gym. The byproduct was she lost a lot of weight. She was feeling happy. People notice her because she's Adele, but then more people notice her because she's Adele who's thinner and whatever, whatever, whatever that means for her. And then because she's Adele, the whole world notices. And so she feels better about that. It's just like, I mean, you got to shame her for it. Like, just let people do what the fuck they want to do. Uh, it's it, part of it. There's a, a large contingent on Twitter that loves nothing more than recreational criticism. Like that is literally yes. their entertainment. That's it's what it's keeps a pathology. Them going. It is, yeah, absolutely. It's a pathology. Like it, it's actually a pathology. And I think that um, uh, it, it seems like everyone knows this too. Everyone knows that Twitter is is bullshit. That Twitter is is only there for like the two percent of your your brain that really wants to uh, act uh, to, to to engage in sadomasochism all day. <laughs> That wants to just that only wants to, to 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 respond with emotion, and it's the first the first emotion that comes to your mind, and it just evolves into psychopathy and um, and craziness. And, and, and but everyone does it anyways, and then they take it as gospel, even though they know that it's not. It's like I I don't understand. Like it, it is legitimately developed into this pathology of um, of just cesspool negativity that drives our social evolution too like it actually is a social driver yes that's the other part of it you know is it's like it, it, it's crazy to me like people will um this is a slight tangent but it, it ties into the social driving 
So we talked about this off air last week or the week before, but there was a report that was released from Goldman Sachs mm. where they interviewed blindly a bunch of their uh, entry level analysts who make like a, a little bit under $100,000 a year doing stock broker shit, but they work 100 hour weeks. They often get, they have four hours a day to um, leave work, eat, go to the gym unload, socialize, and sleep. Like they have shitty lives. There's often physical or not physical, but like a social abuse, a psychological abuse at work because it's a hard environment to be in. So there's a lot of like shit talking and shaming and things like that. Uh, locker room talk or what, I hate that term, but that kind of shit going on, right? And m like a huge percentage of them were like, we won't be here within six months if things don't change. The social backlash was so large against Goldman Sachs online was so large that they have since, and this came out like a few months, a month or two ago, maybe a month ago, it, within that time frame, a short time frame, they've already given raises to all of their first year analysts. They bought like a 30, 40% raise. Wow. They bumped it up over $100,000. And then they're instituting a no work on Saturdays policy. And they're also going to be um, instituting a, uh, a, um, a culture look, a look into their culture. Thankfully, it's not an equity look, which right. I think that would devolve into something totally different. But they're looking to sort of like reduce the number of hours they work, have higher pay, and then try and fix the culture because it is a very like toxic culture, um, and uh, in and of itself. But um, and it's all based on social pressure. Interesting from Twitter, essentially. That's the and thing about Twitter, man. Like, it's it's yeah. not solely for evil, you know. Things like that, especially the big issues. If you're you know breaking some sort of whistleblower type situation, or if we think back to the Arab Spring, Twitter had a big part to play in that. And that's when Twitter was yep. still pretty new. You know, there's some good stuff that can come out of Twitter. The, yeah. But the the limbic Various. hijack, you know, literally you can't fight it in many cases. Yep. So. And uh, it's. But it's yeah, it's absolutely crazy, and I, I do not think, however, that the num the the things that come out of it that are um, good outweigh the toxic nature of it. It's too swingy. It, it, there's too much toxic in it, and um, I don't think I'm uh, deep enough into like I don't use Twitter. I think I would if, to to make a proper assessment of that. I would need to be a Twitter user. From what I see, yeah. I absolutely agree. It, and that's what I mean. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. Like I don't have Twitter. I don't want it. But what I do see is it, it, it strikes me as there is a cesspool of negativity. And then every now and again, some good shit floats to the top. Yeah. And it's, I don't think it's enough to outweigh the, because like I said, we're talking about a pathology here, like a legitimate pathology. And I think that it attracts so much of the negativity in people and it attracts so many people who have a proclivity towards negative emotion, um, anxiety, depression, psychopathology, and stuff like that, that, um, if you have an area where those are the primary drivers of social interaction, every, the Overton window is going to shift that direction too far. Yep. And then all, everything that's reasonable is in normal humans, like face-to-face -face society is fucking crazy. Like the reasonable on Twitter is actually just crazy in human interaction. Yep. Like the, the 30 second, you know, the 150 character hot take is, 
is a crazy, if, if you, you and I were to have a human to human conversation in person, and you were to give the straw man hot take of my argument, I would just call your bullshit and be like, you're fucking insane. That's not what I said, idiot. <laughs> I would just call you out on it. And maybe I'd be nice because I like you. But if we didn't like each other and we did it, I'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? I literally didn't say that. You're straw manning my argument and you're being stupid and you're ignoring 95% of what I just said to your face. And then you have to contend with the fact that I'm this close to you, face, face to palm to you. And if you're unlucky, I might just fight you. Because there's the physical element of it too. Like, yeah that's totally removed in Twitter. And so because there's no physical altercation, and I think people underestimate the amount, like the role that physical altercations actually play in social interactions, not, not to say that I'm advocating for physical, physical violence because I'm not, but it's always an underlying threat. Well, there's that and just, just body language, the nuance that comes yes. with communicating. Um, with body language, yeah. With body language and the the tonality of how you say something not just how not just what you say but how you say it um, all of that fits in I mean the the classic study that's often cited is that um, the words that you say only make up for seven percent of the communication <clears throat> yeah. everything else is tonality and body language etc uh, so we're stripping away ninety three percent let's call it eighty five percent because we got emojis um, of the of the way that we communicate and how we have evolved and adapted to communicate with each other. All of the things that we learn as human beings that no one ever taught us specifically, but we learn by interacting with other human beings, going through elementary and high schools, learning what all the little cues mean and how it's different when this guy says it versus this girl says it. And all of the other factors that go in that you just, you just learn. Right. You don't sit down in a class yeah. and get taught this. You just learn by doing uh, that's all taken away. And, and we're, we're seeing the result of that. Yeah. Ineffective communication, no, to say the very least. No, very true. And it's it's also so. Um, what's it? Hyperbolic. Like everything is like yes. overstated and blown out of proportion online. Like imagine we have a simple conversation about I don't know, let's think of the first thing that comes to my mind is like the notion that Hollywood is controlled by Jews. I don't know why that popped into my head, but like okay. that's just what pops into my head. <laughs> and because there actually is an over preponderance of um, of Jews who were writers in particular in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. That that actually is true. Like there's a larger percentage uh, compared to the population of uh, of Jews in in, in America, um, and it's like not even close. It's it's like a huge percentage. Um, and let's say we're just randomly talking about that subject in, in person. And you're like, wow, you're a fucking Nazi. Because I brought up the fact that Hollywood is run is like a large percentage of, you know, uh, Hollywood writers are Jews. And like, so they have a, a, an inordinate amount of control over like the comedy that's put into shows. I'm not saying anything bad about them. Just that, that that's seems like a natural byproduct of having more Jewish writers. Is it, they would have, you know, it, it may not even be true, but if I make that claim and you're like, wow, you're a fucking Nazi. Like no one does that in person. It's also not what I said, yep. but that's like a very hyperbolic claim. Like it, it's, it's a totally outlandish claim, but that's actually how Twitter conversations happen. Yeah. Well, I think that the, there's a key thing there and uh, Heather Hying brought this up very well uh, a few podcasts back, but the example she gave was 
Imagine a group of construction workers on the job, hot chick walks by, and one of the guys cat calls her and, you know, says something, whatever, doesn't matter. Um, and someone is observing that from across the street. And they turn to their friend and say, does that guy really think that cat calling that woman is going to be effective and was she going to like stop what she's doing, come over and say hi? And the other person says, you got to understand that communication was not for her. It's for mm -hmm. all his buddies sitting around him. Yeah, that's who that communication is for. So all this virtue signaling bullshit, it's not to make you feel bad for being a quote unquote Nazi. It's for all of their it's friends a, to yeah. see you're on the right team. Yep. And that's that's, that's interesting. Twitter I, in a nutshell. I hadn't heard her talk about that. I, I hadn't heard her specify that, but I that's actually a very. As I think about that more, I actually really like that example. Yeah. And the, the main reason one of the big reasons I like it is because of the um, so the catcalling is a form of toxic masculinity, according to those who talk about that sort of thing. Yep. Because, you know, it, it's it's degrading and sexist to women and, it, it you know, it, it objectifies them and in all of those things. And, and that it. And so I like the parallel between that toxicity and the toxicity of Twitter and virtue signaling. Yep. Because I also think that it's toxic to virtue signal. Yep. And I think it's a similar level of toxicity um, because the on to, back to that catcalling argument, like there, there is some argument to be had for like those, those kinds of things are inappropriate. Mm -hmm. Like it, it is an objectification of, uh, in this case, a woman, and it's not necessarily the nicest thing to do for sure. And it, it's kind of rude. And it's, especially if you're like around a bunch of like five, a bunch of dudes, yep. in this case, say construction dudes, they're a bunch of roughnecks and you're like walking alone by yourself. That's a little scary. Yeah. You have someone cat call you and there's like six dudes who are probably all bigger than you. And they're like cat calling or whistling. You know what the fuck's going to happen? Like that's not, not like the safest thing to position to be in. And I get it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't actually know if I've ever cat called a girl. I always thought it was odd um, to do that. See, yeah. And, I, mean, I, I, the, I was, I come from the school <laughs> but, of, uh, 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 trying to be effective. So in my head, like, yeah, no, she's never going to come over or anything like that. And I wasn't really interested in, you know, signaling to my other guy friends, at least not my high school, probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I never, I never in my ever, ever thought it would work. Anytime I may have no. made a, a comment like that, it was 100% signaling to my guy friends. And I never thought it would actually work. It's just, it's just dumb. Yeah, it's just dumb. It's just yeah. dumb stupidity. But no, I, I do like that that that, that example because it like that Twitter is dumb <laughs> yep. and toxic. And I think that's very true. That 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 virtue signaling of you know everyone noticed me. I'm on the, whatever the right team is. Um, and they get rewarded we, for it. That's the thing. There is a there's a vicious cycle and, there. Where you get rewarded you get the retweets you and the likes and stuff yeah. like, oh, yeah, you tell them stupid Nazi. Yep. Eh. Uh, and again, yeah, it's, it's that limbic hijack that well, you, you get that until you don't, though. Like, that's the thing is that um, whatever that group is, part of how they sustain themselves is by eating their own young. Yeah, but that's not how addiction works. You don't yes. you don't sit down to fucking load a rock into your crack pipe and go, you know, in 10 years, this might not work out for me. Right. You're looking to get high right fucking now. Yep. No, very same true. mechanism. And, uh, it's like if I say this thing, I'll get likes. 
That's yep. as far and, as it goes. Uh, and I think that you, that's why you, you see a lot of, a lot of people who are going through that process more and more as people wake up, you're getting more and more people who have virtue signaled in the past and they're just getting eaten alive for like the simplest of things or the simplest comparatively, like right. faux pas, maybe they, maybe they actually something that they shouldn't have said. Um, or they say something that personally I don't think would, should qualify as like a complete erasure from the, the face of the social planet. Um, but it's happening anyways. And they just get thrown under the bus. Um, you see this mostly with like, um, or in the case of, uh, mostly with like black conservatives, they just get, uh, they just get called racist epithets. <laughs> actually. So there's, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> they, they never had acceptance. They were just called racist names from the beginning, uh, uh, which is just, that, that's, just, that, that's a whole separate irony that I find utterly <laughs> hilarious. It, it just makes me chuckle to, to, to see that. Um, but, you know, we talked a bit, a couple podcasts ago about uh, how everyone views Asians and how that's changed recently because of the rise in AAPI hate. Yeah. Um, you know, and you have individuals who six, seven, eight months ago were derisive and making inappropriate uh, Asian jokes. You know, the stereotypical Asian math joke is usually what came up, but and it was like lauded by all of the uh, the virtue signalers because they were holding back other black and brown people. And then now everything's getting dissected. And you said this six months ago, but I don't know if you should have power anymore, even though you're a black man or woman. Um, the rules change and they are retroactive. Yes. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's like, maybe you just shouldn't say inappropriate shit like that at all. Or maybe people shouldn't take inappropriate shit so seriously or both. both. I mean, I, I'm not advocating both. that we run yeah. around and say inappropriate shit all the time, but um, I'm also a huge lover of inappropriate comedy. Absolutely. Socially very necessary. Um, I think it's socially very necessary. And uh, I, that doesn't to say that I'm running around and just, I, I love hearing racist jokes as an example. But um, in particular, when uh, someone like a Chris Rock makes a racist joke, I find it utterly hilarious. Um, <laughs> I don't care what race he's making fun of, but it's just fucking funny because yeah. uh, Chris Rock is funny. And um, I actually, the, Anthony Jeselnik is another one. He's a white dude. Oh. Oh, dude, um, that, dude, he is fucking brutal. Next fucking level. He is he next is level. Absolutely top five. And if I thought about it long enough, maybe top three or two uh, stand ups. I absolutely love as fucking I razor fucking, sharp. So good. Anyway, if you like that AIDS joke, you're going to love this next yes. AIDS joke. <laughs> you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it, but uh, but yeah, like, and so I, I think that people, you know, hold to cling so tightly to you can't say that it's offensive and then all of a sudden everything becomes offensive and that's a literal thing and then and then the jester is afraid to make fun of the king and you know we're actually at that point we're literally at yes. that point where comedians have gone on record and they've said that other comedians have called them out in private and in public for making jokes because the jokes are too offensive. Like their own kind is literally telling them you can't make jokes. And it's like that I, I get if there's some, some comedians are not other people or not people's cup of tea. I totally get it. I have railed again. My girlfriend and her mom love Saturday night live. 
and they love those the the the, the late night TV talk show hosts Trevor Noah and Steve Colbert and the British fella Joe Noah or Oliver whatever the fuck his name is John Oliver and then the other British John Oliver and then the what's the guy that he used to be like Steve Colbert's sidekick but now his own show I think he Andy something or other there's a bunch of other ones they love them all oh yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, those yeah that guy I can't remember his name but uh, Andy <laughs> Corden there we go yeah, yeah. Um, and they all have their shows and they're all fucking terrible none of them are funny and the running joke when I in in my family with them is uh, uh, her, her family and me is they'll show me is that I don't laugh because they'll show me stuff and I, I don't laugh because it's not funny. And, and even when I see funny stuff, I don't, I tend not to laugh too much. Um, but like they always, they, they always makes them chuckle because they'll, they'll show me something and it'll be some stupid Saturday night skit or something that Steve Colbert said that isn't funny. And I'll just like watch it. It'll be like a five minute bit. And I'm just like, that's okay. That's not funny. It's stupid. Cause they're no, they're no longer humorous. And like, I just don't, I just don't, you know, it's not my cup of tea. And then I'll listen to something that, uh, you know, Chris Rogers, Dave Chappelle's another one. He'll have all these in it. Like he, his fucking bit on that guy from, uh, empire, the, the guy who, uh, may or may not have faked the hate crime. I'm pretty sure he faked it. I, I haven't oh. followed the just <laughs> juicy smollier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Juicy smollier. His fucking bit on that. Yeah. is the funniest like five minutes of comedy I've heard in years. And it is so racist. Like it, it's super racist. It, yep. He gets away with it because he's Dave Chappelle and because he's, he's black. Chappelle. And he just doesn't give a fuck. And, and so it, it's like if a white guy stood up there and did that, like there would literally, there would definitely will be more problems because yeah. the way he does it and everything, like he's just not going to, there's not very many white guys who are going to get away with that. And fair enough. Like I'm not, saying that's a bad thing necessarily just that's just the way things are um but that bit is like i die every time i hear that <laughs> because it's so good <laughs> yeah and, I, I think Chappelle and, is probably number one stand-up ever in my opinion. right now he's number one for sure and um definitely but, yeah definitely you know, right like, now but i i man could make a case for all time anyway we're sidetracking but yeah yeah, Dave's no, no, awesome. that's totally fine. This is a great, this is a, a great sidetrack. I actually want to. I'll end my comedy rant with um, something that I heard uh, Chris Rock say, and um, it's not actually a funny thing. It's just something that I thought was very interesting. He was doing a stand-up, and he says that um, only women and dogs and babies, or he might have said animals, but I think it was dogs, are loved unconditionally. Only mm. women. Dogs and babies are loved unconditionally. Men are only loved under the condition that they provide something. And when he said this, people mm. laughed after the dogs and babies shit part. And then he actually went on and had a joke, and I forget what the joke is. Um, but I don't think the joke for him was important. I think that that was the whole important thing. And that actually is that, that stuck with me for a long time. I heard that a few months ago. And, and, and I'll say it again for the listeners, but... Only women and dogs and babies are loved unconditionally. Men are only loved under the condition that they provide something. And yeah, I have a hard time disagreeing with that. There's a localized argument to be made for that not being true. Like between you and your, your familial tribe, there is an argument to be made for that not being true. 
But I, I would actually ask anyone listening to dig deep and to think about if you disagree with that, to think about the men, or if you're, you're yourself a man, and think about the people around you and think about why they love you. Yeah. Like, why do they keep, why do they keep you around? Right. Or Dude, think about time. even what, I think if, if you get off the like 100 percent all the time, each and every time accuracy, there is an absolutely a big fat grain of truth in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it, it, it hits at something I think that society it, it I think it hits at the parasitic problem that we I see with our culture right now. Like the I think it puts a, a finger on the problem. One of the major problems with our culture. And like, we actually have a devaluation of men problem. We actually do have that. Oh, yeah. And we've talked a yeah. bit about that. Um, you know, you, you look at the, the lack of focus on father, on fathers in the family, um, in, in the social, in like the, in the, in the media and the narrative, uh, the, the social narrative, um, and you look at uh, um, the the support that's given uh, structurally to, to to mothers, but not to fathers, as it pertains to social welf- welfare, as it pertains to daycare, as it pertains to custody issues, all, all those kinds of things. Yeah. But um, and even in the fight for um, job equality, so like uh, pay equality and shit like that, getting women into the workforce and getting them paid as much as men, and all those kinds of things. Um, that e- even with with that. I've never heard an argument for mom or women. If you're not going to hold your weight, get out of the family. There's never an <laughs> argument for what does mom or sister or aunt provide. And if they're not toeing the line, they get the fuck out. That's never been an argument. The argument is always exclusively. If you're a deadbeat dad or brother or son or uncle, get the fuck out. What have the you only done argument that can lately? be made exactly the only argument maybe that can be made there is for grandpa but like useless grandpa who can't yeah. do shit on his own and we can't afford in home or you know a, a old folks home everything else is what can you do to pull your weight otherwise get the fuck out you can't do that to kids because that well that's not only is that illegal if they're under 18 um, but they'll die because they're kids. So you don't have a choice, right? And yeah. and yes, mothers bear that burden more than fathers do, um, at least for the first few years. And there's some evolutionary support to, to back up the fact that women are it, it, much more evolutionary, uh, biologically attached to kids than their own kids than, than men are. I, I think there's some shaky grounds on that, but I have heard that argument be made by evolutionary biologists and things before um, Heather and, and, and Brett in particular discussed this a bit. And so there, there is some literature supporting that and that and fair enough. Um, but evolutionarily and socially now, what men provide is what keeps them around or is, is, is what allows them to stick around by the tribe. That's there, there are exceptions to that rule for sure. But in, when I heard that, I was like, this is not a joke. This is a sobering fucking moment. This is, <laughs> this is Chris rock, like dropping some truths on his, on his audience. Like y'all need to fucking grow up. And, um, cause it's like, I, you know, what do I provide that keeps me around? Otherwise, I'm just bringing my family down. Yeah. You know, they're going to go find someone else who can actually provide some good shit. You know, and 
And so here's the question. If that's the case and we want equality, when do we start doing that to ladies? Yeah, I guess, I mean, it depends on, you know, there's, there's a few different ways you could look at that conversation. You got, you know, the, the Ayn Rand school of, uh, you know, being a productive individual that earns the right to be loved. Uh, a bit harsh and incomplete as a philosophy, but I, uh, I don't disagree yep. with everything that she had to say. Um, and then also the, what I think right now is kind of the, the pendulum swinging in the other direction against men. And I, I think that some of that is necessary provided it eventually comes back into balance because yes. yeah, patriarchy is a real thing, particularly in the past. Uh, don't forget now is the best time it has ever been. So we are improving. We are tracking the right direction, but yeah, men have had a lot of advantages. Um, so as long as it's just, like I said, more of that pendulum swing and it, it comes back and balances, then, you know, on the whole, it's fine, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, but if this were a trend that sticks and if it really does come down to, you know, if you're not providing, then you are cast out, then that's fucked up. Yeah. And that also doesn't bode well for a society for a whole host of reasons. Oh, no. Um, I'm going to go apocalyptic for a second, and I'm going to choose the, uh, the the apocalyptic problem, which is that if you disenfranchise an entire sex, in particular the physically, on average, more dominant sex, and much more prone to violence, I might add, mm -hmm. um, those are two things that are statistically, like, factually true, yes. according to any and all studies that have ever been done. Um, men are physically stronger and larger, on average, and much more prone to violent behavior. Mm-hmm. And that's that so it doesn't and that's this is the apocalyptic example. So it uh there's there's a lot of other examples that aren't near as bad. I just that's the one that came into my mind, so I'm gonna go over it. It doesn't seem to me a good idea to disenfranchise and alienate and segregate a population that has those two things going for it. That well, seems I'm, like a very stupid idea. Or say it works, say you happen to feminize all of the men and get them to uh bow down to whatever it is you want them to be and you know not toxic and and whatever else um if you're successful in that then other manly men from other countries are going to show up and take all your shit yes that's you, you need warriors you need the roughnecks you need some bad fucking dudes on board to make sure yep. that you, your fence stays up, so to speak. Um, and that's, that it's is a, yeah. a harsh reality, but that is a fucking reality on this here planet. Yep. Because yeah. that's how, we, I mean, yeah, no, very true. And I, I read this a long, like this is a while ago, maybe a year or two ago. And so, uh, I don't have the article available and, um, nor the data in it uh, correct, but the gist of the article I read is that um, there is a preponderance um, in big cities of highly educated and successful women who can't find men to date for two reasons. One, there are no men who are, they want to date because they're not equal. And what, like, basically the biggest, the big problem was like, you know, I'm a, woman in my late twenties, early thirties, I'm highly successful. Maybe I make a six figure salary. I work really hard. I have a 
a master's degree. I'm highly educated. And there's just no men here because they're falling out of colleges in droves. And they want someone who's similar. They don't want someone who's got a high school diploma and works at the local grocery store. And fair enough. And you can argue all you want against uh, the studies that have shown that hypergamy is a thing, but this seems to be a problem. And then the other issue that they're running into is that all the men that they do meet um, are too passive. They don't make first moves. They don't compliment them. They're um, they're what uh, uh, people online would call um, soy boy beta males. <laughs> which I, <laughs> yep. I don't like to generalize with that term. I just find the term very funny. Um, but they're effusive and uh, um, they're sorry, feet. They're very placid and um, not. Uh, they're not really forth, forthright in, in their personalities and how they approach the world. And women are broadly turned off by this. Now, not all are, and that's fine. But uh, it seems to be that the general consensus is that as women work more and get more parity and get better jobs and all this stuff, they're looking for men who can hang, can, 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 they can, you know, can entangle with, that they can, yeah. they can, can tussle up. with. Yeah that can keep up. And what they're getting is uneducated um, and uh, subservient individuals, men who um, they don't want. Soy boy beta males. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's like, uh, it, you know, the other joke that goes along with this is you have a lot of, you, you see, you hear a lot of it in, in social media and in the news or, or whatever. It's not big news, but it's this, um, this notion of the, uh, of the boy, the guys, uh, this happens a lot on dating apps. Apparently I'm not on any, so I don't know, but I just, I've just heard of this is that they'll, they'll post all their woke shit about how they're all, they're like feminists and they're all for woke stuff. And then, and that they're all like for equality. And then they act like this so they can get girls in that sphere of of people they're like if i act this way girls will then like me wait are you saying these guys are saying some things that might not be true in order to get girls correct yeah this is news breaking right (laughs) exactly yeah right exactly exactly this is like the woke version of catcalling yeah um actually probably not it, it's a little bit different oh, no, but they're actually trying concept. to score but yeah, yeah 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 um but no and so you, you have that happening as well as you have a sub a subgroup of uh, of of men who are like i see all these women um and i would like to date but i can't just like go up and to them and talk to them i need to do what it i need to do things i think that they will like so that they will sleep with me yep and since they're all social justice oriented so am i and, but I guess the, the running thing is that it doesn't work for a whole host of reasons. One, because most people don't like someone who, um, is a yes man. Yep. It gets annoying when you're always just agreeing with shit and proselytizing in front of somebody and bowing and subservient to them just to get stuff. Cause people can tell when you're trying to do that to get something it's, yeah. it's shady, it's slimy, it's gross. It's used car salesman. Yep. And the other issue that maybe these men, young men should have picked up on is that a lot of the people who, maybe not a lot, but at least a portion of the people who feel that way and are in that woke category, they don't like men. Yep. <laughs> like, even if they're attracted to them, like they don't like men because they're against the patriarchy. Yep. And so it's, that's probably just not the best thing to do. Like, I want to, I want to like get with girls because there's a lot of them, but 
Like I'm actually the problem that they don't like. And so I'm going to try and agree with them a lot until they like me. I'm different than those other boys. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, it's a very interesting, and there's other issues of course too, but, and so I, I'm generalizing quite a bit here, but, um, but yeah, it's a very interesting, uh, issue. And, uh, it it just strikes me that interesting times. And so, uh, and with that, that's, that's the end of my tangential rant. That was two hours of, of tangential movements, by the way. We just sort oh, of... Oh, okay. Well, let's uh, let's put a bow on this one. We just kind of made our way all the way through uh, um, diet to so- soy boy, soy boys. <laughs> soy boy beta males. Soy boy um, beta males. I can only picture uh, Colby Covington saying that because I know he's dropped that a bunch, which is... Has he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing it, playing That's, his he's character. A, he's... He's an MMA fighter, right? Oh, you don't know Colby? Oh, you don't watch any UFC. Yeah, he's an MMA fighter. I, I watched a little bit of it. I recognize the name, but... Uh, he basically, um, he's he's playing a character of the heel in that he okay, uh, yeah. he's the, the Trump supporter. He actually, yeah, credit to him, he played the character strong enough that uh, he got invited to and visited the White House, shook Trump's hand the whole bit, got a signed MAGA hat, all that kind of shit. Um, and virtually everybody fucking hates him. And the question is, is it just a character? How much of it is him? Blah, 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 blah. But when yeah. he is making very, uh, abrasive rants, he is, uh, off to call people soy boy beta males. So I love it. Yeah. And see, to tie this full circle back to our discussion earlier about nutrition, if these guys would get off the soy and get on the beef, they probably wouldn't have these problems. That's what they say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if they ate more right. steaks, they wouldn't need to to spout off woke rhetoric in order to try and get laid. They probably could just learn how to speak to girls normally and things would just take care of themselves naturally. As they typically do. Yeah. <laughs> As they typically do. Just be a genuine, normal human being. Yep. And maybe say something dorky. Like I made a Harry Potter reference. That's how my girlfriend fell for me. There you go. Know your so, audience. But, well done. No, yeah. And, uh, and of course, on top of being, you know, like super manly and, and bald <laughs> and uh, um, attractive and, and sexy. No one can hear this. I mean, I have a sexy voice, of course, so people can hear it, but they can't see it because it's not video. But Right. And, you know, um, I just so happened to be cutting down a tree with my left hand, wrestling a bull with the right hand. She yeah. walked by. I said, hey. Yeah. I made a Harry Potter joke. She was like, oh, he's so multifaceted <laughs> and talented. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> he can build right. a house for me and he likes Harry Potter. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're going to hell for that. All of that. <laughs> I'm okay with that. That's fine with me too. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, all right, everybody. Thanks for listening to episode 49. We hope you have a good rest of your morning, your afternoon and your evening. Take care, everybody. Peace.